Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with me is our other co-host. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Drew Tan. Hey, everybody. So, new year, new topics. And uh, with it, with uh, everything that's coming out this year, uh, we've got uh, a bunch of new shows coming out for Disney+. Plus. Uh, the the big one being WandaVision, uh, the first in its... Uh, in, the first to be released in their entire rollout and it's uh we don't know if you our fans have uh been paying attention or been keeping up to date but we decided that since uh the show is coming out that we would take this opportunity to discuss the vision uh you know the synthesoid avenger and uh specifically we're gonna discuss vision by tom king with art by uh who do we got here i'll read the credits man so tom king is the writer gabriel hernandez walta is the primary artist with one of the issues by michael walsh colorist is jordi belair lettered by clayton cowles and cover art by mike del mundo and marco de alfonso yeah good stuff so, yeah this is the the vision uh 12 issue series from was it a 2015, Albert. 2015 to 2016. Let me see. You, you have I, the issues, right? I have the I have the hardcover. Yeah, I am looking at it right here, and it looks like the issues were. Huh. Oh, here we go. 2015 to 2016. That is correct. So, um, it's a cool little maxi series that they did. Uh, it, it's pretty self-contained and. Yeah, uh, let's take a look. Yeah, we figured with the show coming out... Uh, this would be a good end. Next week, yeah. It makes sense to talk about The Vision and Scarlet Witch. But uh, in terms of comics, probably say that this comic is the best Vision comic that, uh, that there is. Yeah. I mean, he's always just been a supporting character in... Yeah uh avengers titles and i i guess he had uh some limited series back in in uh you know previous decades also but i don't think any of those are on the same level as the vision by tom king and gabriel hernandez walta so we decided to do a book club episode of this particular run this particular series and uh, at the end of the episode when we're done talking about the book we'll uh, get into a discussion about the upcoming show which will start streaming uh on january 15th. i think january 15th yeah so we're recording this january 8th so probably go up in a few days yeah so, so if, if you, you listen uh, to this it might mm-hmm. get you jazzed for the show but honestly we'd prefer that you get jazzed for the comic yes <laughs> because we're we're all about comics here. We are we're not comic book purists, but we're comic book elitists. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, do you want to talk about the uh, creative staff behind the book? Um, you know, like just any yeah. any background information you might have on Tom King or Gabriel Hernandez Walta or uh, what did you say his name was Walsh? I, I missed yeah, Michael Walsh. Michael Walsh, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start off with uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walta. I actually don't really know his work too well. Uh, the only other comic of his that 
I've read is uh, Sentient that he did with Jeff Lemire for TKO, which I would highly recommend. That's an awesome science fiction story about uh, a bunch of kids in on a spaceship where all of the adults somehow end up dying. And it's up to the onboard AI to basically guide these children to safety. So they're the the AI is basically like their mother. It's it's a pretty fascinating story about survival and family and being a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at yeah. I mean, even even looking at what they have on him on the library, uh, it seems like those are the two primary works. And I'll be honest, I hadn't seen anything from him prior to Vision. But yeah, I, I think say, the thing that he did before the vision was he did that Magneto comic for Marvel. Like Greg uh, Well, I can't I can't oh, remember it was what Bunn. it was called. Yeah, Cullen Bunn. Bunn. That's why I, that's why I didn't read it. Yeah, yeah, that's why I didn't read it too. So, um, which is a shame because re- looking at his artwork in the Vision, it's it's really good. I mean. I know for those of you listening, that might not help you, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I like one of the things that I automatically notice about his art is just how it feels gritty, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like that it's the only way that I can describe it. Like, I wouldn't say like his, I wouldn't say that it's hyper realistic or anything, um, but it, it's, it's definitely got a cool style of its own, uh, yeah, I don't know how I would describe the look, uh, but the uh, I do really like the texture that he gives the comic. It, it it adds to the mood of it, for sure. Yeah, I think one of the things about his style, when you look at his comics, either The Vision or um, Sentient, is that his, his style is... It's strange that you thought it was gritty, because I wouldn't disagree with that, but the other quality I find in his art is warmth. Mm. And the funny thing about both of the comics of his that I've read is that they both deal with uh, essentially artificial intelligence. If you consider synthesoids, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And so there's a lot of like robotic components and elements to his, to both of those stories, but he's able to somehow imbue a lot of warmth to the, characters also like not just the human characters but the uh you know synthetic characters as well and there's just this quality because i think when you look at his lines it it's not super clean it's not super uh slick you know and Mm -hmm. i I think that's that's where that gritty quality comes from like if you look at how he draws uh like a street or something right like there's when he when he hatches when he does his cross hatching there's a lot of lines there and it's not necessarily like the neatest or the cleanest looking because yeah sometimes even his lines and stuff they fall out of the panel border you know they kind of bleed into the gutter mm. so it it almost makes it feel like he i don't know like but if i had to guess i'm guessing he doesn't use a ruler when he when he draws stuff you know mm. like it doesn't seem like he he needs one because all of his lines just look so free and loose Mm-hmm. it's um yeah that's interesting observation 
Go ahead. No, no, that's all. I was just saying I hadn't thought about that, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was also going to say that um, in the in the hardcover that I have, there's a bunch of extra material, including scripts and layouts and finished pages. So you can kind of see the process behind uh, behind the behind the story and behind the production of the comic. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is with Tom King, his scripts tend to be pretty minimal. Like he doesn't he doesn't write a whole lot in terms of panel descriptions. Most of the panel descriptions are extremely basic. He doesn't he doesn't give the artist uh, like this kind of angle or anything beyond like uh, the character is this or you know it's it's like really really bare bones mm. so so from reading this comic man you can definitely tell that uh walta did a whole bunch of work on it because he he had to really use his mind to configure the layouts and the framing and and everything you know yeah he, he actually adds a lot to it because the all of the character acting like that's pretty much all him you know like may, maybe sometimes tom king will write something like this character is nervous or this character is anxious yeah and, and like, that's really it like everything else is coming straight from gabriel hernandez walta's imagination and, and how he pictures the acting you know yeah yeah i mean that's a that's a heck of a contribution because that's I mean, what I was going to say is it, it's pretty fortunate that he was able to do so much of the book. Um, we've discussed this about other books often before and how uh, both main publishing houses tend to just churn out comics and they'll get, you know, a bunch of different artists, mm-hmm. you know, for the span of 12 issues. And I can only imagine that if they had like two or three different artists on, on this series, how uh, chaotic it would have been and how much it probably would have hurt the overall feel of the story. Yeah. I hate when that happens. It's super jarring. Mm-hmm. And the, the fortunate thing about the vision is that there's only one issue by another artist, Michael Walsh. Yeah. And fortunately his art is aesthetically Stimulus. fairly similar to Walter's yeah. art. So it doesn't feel, doesn't feel as jarring as it could be. Yeah. And I would even say that the story that they were doing uh, in that one particular issue, from what I remember, it was like in flashbacks or something. So mm-hmm. it, to some degree, you can, I mean, I mean, you don't necessarily need to, but you can kind of justify it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, part of me will still prefer, I mean, part of me still wishes that Walter had drawn that issue too. Yeah, for consistency, but you know, I I can't really quibble. At least they didn't get someone like Mark Bagley to draw it, you know. Yeah, or you know, Mark Silvestri or <laughs> uh, you know, uh, whoever. David yeah. Finch. <laughs> Dude, could you imagine David Finch yeah. on this comic? I would have just been like, why? <laughs> it would have been so wrong. Yeah. Do you want to go into uh, the vision as a character a little bit? Just you know what he's about, um, you know. For do you for want to listeners. talk about Tom King at all? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah, let's let's discuss Tom King. Um, from what I know of him, this was his 
I think this might have been his one and only work at Marvel. And afterwards, he got snatched up at DC Comics because they just saw um, how spectacular he was. Uh, you know, then they didn't want a chance losing out, uh, losing him to to Marvel. So they gave him an exclusive contract, and he ended up working over at DC. Uh, you know, they let him do a really long Batman run. Uh, they cut it short, but you know. On paper, it was supposed to be really long. It's I mean, it was still pretty long. long, huh? Yeah, it's still pretty dang long. It was still pretty long. It was supposed to be a hundred issues, but they cut it, I think, to a little over eighty. Yeah, and I think right now he's got the Batman Catwoman yeah. max series. It's like a twelve issue series that is supposed to be uh, the capstone to his yeah. run. Yeah, I mean, it's still. I don't know. It's still kind of messed up, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But other than this, um, you know, he's worked on other things that over at DC that were, uh, I would say, similar in tone to this. I mean, I, just just from observation, you know, he he's got Mister Miracle, uh, which is him and Mitch Gerard Gerards, as well <laughs> as uh, he's working on Strange Adventures right now. Um, and in all three of these cases, he kind of takes. Um, lesser known care well not even lesser known but characters that don't or don't traditionally have their own books or haven't had their own books for a while and you know applies his touch to them you know giving them uh a 12 issue maxi series to cover a story that he wants to tell essentially and, yeah and he does it in his own way with his own spin which it's 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 all interesting stuff, you know. It's all it all seems very thought provoking, and I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I I haven't read Mister Miracle or uh, Strange Adventures yet, but just again, just from observations, it feels like it's not your typical superhero smash 'em up comic. Let, let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've read Mr. Miracle. I've read uh, Sheriff of Babylon. Earlier this week, I started reading The Omega Man. Mm-hmm. I haven't finished it, though. Um, and it, yeah, I guess interesting thing is Omega Man and The Vision. I think he was writing them both, or they might have both come out around the same time. And mm-hmm. uh, Sheriff of Babylon as well. I, I don't, I mean, I'd have to go online and, and look up the dates to really match it up, but that's not really too important, but those are some of his earlier works uh, that that he was known for uh, before he got the exclusive with DC and became the Batman dude. Yeah. Well, uh, but, it, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, even from reading like the first four issues of the Omega Men so far, I'd even say that one, uh, the art isn't as unusual for a superhero comic compared to... Uh, the vision or Mr. Miracle, but the, the story is definitely not your typical superhero story. Yeah. It's not your typical, you know, punch the bad guy in the face, every issue mm-hmm. until he gets away and then punch and punch him again. Next issue. It, it's, it's not really like that so far either. It's, it's more of a, actually the Omega man reminds me a little bit of sheriff of Babylon. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a, the story about these uh insurgents the omega men are insurgents yeah in uh 
against against some kind of um i guess yeah i guess they're an authoritarian government that they're fighting uh yeah so far it's enjoyable i, I gotta finish it to give my final verdict yeah uh, as far as the other stuff of Tom King's that I've read, there was Heroes in Crisis, uh, the Batman stuff. Yeah. I probably still have to say that The Vision and Mr. Miracle are my top two from him. Mm-hmm. Sheriff of Babylon is pretty interesting story. I, that's something that I would want to read again. I, I read it once from the library. It, it didn't really hit me too hard, but I appreciated it. Um, and I, I think it... It's a comic that that does have depth. I just need to read it again to try and extract more of that depth so I can understand it better. Right, right. Uh, the one interesting note that I want to make about him, and this is really different from other writers, but one of his previous jobs prior to becoming a comic book writer is he was an he's an ex CIA agent. Yeah. <laughs> He worked in the counterterrorism division, I think. Yeah, I think so, he was he was definitely in the Middle East for a, quite a few years. Yeah, so he's got pretty. Uh, Art Albert? Huh? No, that's my dog. My dog is snoring. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to um, reposition her so that she uh, she wasn't so loud, but it just made her louder. <laughs> i was like man albert's really multitasking tonight (laughs) yeah so he he used to be an xei agent but i do really think that it you know it's it's a very unique perspective that he brings to to comics yeah he he did write that uh grayson series when grayson was a secret agent right (laughs) um i mean i i feel like the thing that's I, I haven't read it, but I, if I had to guess, I, I feel like the thing that is most informed by his uh, background as an ex-CIA agent, it would have to be something like Sheriff of Babylon. Yeah, Sheriff of Babylon was definitely explicit um, because it was a realistic story that was set in the Middle East you yeah. know, with uh, counterterrorism agents. So... I think that was that's definitely a fascinating comic. If if anyone became a Tom King fan because of his Batman stuff, and you haven't checked out his older stuff, uh, Sheriff of Babylon is certainly the title that you got to pick up. Yeah, I mean, do you have any thoughts on how you could how you would describe his writing style? You know, one thing that I've heard other people say about Tom King's writing is that Tom King likes to write Tom King stories and he doesn't care about the characters. And I was I was thinking about that cuz cuz I've heard people say that in a disparaging manner. Yeah. Like I was going to say it often feels like it's disparaging when they say it like that. Yeah. It, yeah, because if if you if you read the Vision, if you read Mister Miracle, if you read Heroes in Crisis, it's going to be pretty easy for a typical fanboy to just be to point at those stories and be like, "Man, they would never do that," or you know, "The, the Vision would never do that," or "Mister Miracle and Barda would never do that," "Dark Side would never do that," you know, guys, guys. <laughs> 
Vision would never do that. <laughs> I can't believe it. Gosh. Gosh. This yeah, is outrageous. I, I'm royally pissed. <laughs> I'm royally pissed off. Gosh. This is outrageous. <laughs> now you just sound like a Republican. <laughs> I sound like a Key and Peele sketch character. <laughs> I'm royally pissed. Gosh! <laughs> we are not a monolith! <laughs> this verse! Uh, we'll, we'll put that sketch, the link to that sketch up maybe somewhere in the in one of our yeah. parts or something. <laughs> so you guys but, know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but, but anyway, I was saying that people like to say that about Tom King, that he writes... Tom King stories as opposed to writing uh, Mr. Miracle stories or vision stories. And, and what I have to say to, to that kind of attitude is those people can just choke themselves <laughs> uh, because any writer worth anything has stories that he wants to tell. And just because those stories uh, that inform or that that uh express that writer's voice don't line up to every single piece of minutia and continuity from you know 60 year old comics yeah i don't think it matters man who cares yeah i think like as, as long as he's not going completely contrary to the to the concept of the character then I think it's fine, you know? Like, I have it in my heart to be open-minded and give people a chance to just tell a story, man. Like, at the end of the day, if it's not perfectly matching continuity, what does it matter if it was a good story, you know? It doesn't have because, to be. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be. Like, I, I think I might have even said this when we were talking about Mr. Miracle on another episode before. Like... When I when I read Mr. Miracle, like I I liked it a lot, man. But there are elements in that story that I that I think about and and it's almost like well, I know he's just making the characters say stuff like that or do stuff like that. Yeah. To make a point or maybe even to make a joke. Um and I don't know if that's how I mean, I'm pretty sure that's not how Kirby would have done it, but at at the same time, it it is it works in the context of that twelve issue story, you know, like it works in the context of Tom King's story. He's not telling a story that's supposed to be a continuation of the spirit of Jack Kirby's Fourth World. He's telling a story about family and a marriage and being parents mm. and being children in the context of, or not in the context of, but he's telling that kind of story using Jack Kirby's characters that yeah. DC comics owns. So to me, it doesn't really matter if, if they're not doing the things that I would expect them to do, because if I want that, I'll just go back and pick up my Jack Kirby fourth world omnibus, man. Mm-hmm. I was going to say... Or I'll pick up my uh, Walter Simonson Orion. Totally, totally. I was going to say, we've 
I don't know. I'm going to try to have my cake and eat it too because there there are definitely moments where uh, other writers, uh, certainly less talented writers, have written things about characters that I like. And, you know, I've thought to myself, that doesn't feel right. That completely misses the point of, you know, a specific mm-hmm. character. And, and yeah, that, in uh, you know... Uh, well, I wouldn't say that that in and of itself is the thing that made me outright dismiss that specific work, but it, it's definitely a grievance that I'm more than happy to pile on my list when uh, disparaging a work that I am that I don't like and even might downright hate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like I can look at Scott Snyder or not Scott Snyder, Zack Snyder's Superman uh, in the movies and just be like, "This doesn't seem right." You know, yeah. Like so, on top of it, like he has his voice, and you know, again, he's telling his version of Superman, but I it's also honestly... disrespectful to the concept of Superman. Yeah, it, exactly. Like it's it's so antithetical to Superman that it's almost unforgivable. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I would say it is unforgivable. You would say it is unforgivable. Yeah, like Zack Snyder could, you know, save my children from a burning house, and I still wouldn't forgive him for Man of Steel. You should have done it right, Zack. <laughs> Zack Snyder, more like Wax Snyder. <laughs> As I kick him in the nuts. <laughs> but. But, yeah, I mean, someone might look at, you know, these moments that I have and say, well, how can you look at that? And then, you know, Tom King does something. And, uh, you know, it's it's not like, again, Vision wouldn't do that or Mr. Miracle wouldn't do that. But, uh, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to have a, a moving goalpost on this one, because uh, quite honestly, if. If you can do a good job with whatever you're doing, I, I'm willing to. I, I don't want to say ignore it, but I'm willing to accept that there are these certain behaviors that these characters will. Will perform, and I'll be like, you know what, for the purpose of whatever story he's trying to tell, like I'm on board for the story because I've read uh, of what I've read, he's convinced me that uh he's earned my faith right yeah so so i i I would say that that is the distinction for me you know like totally yeah uh again going back to Zack snyder as an example okay um superman kills that's that's a big one that's a big one to get over and i can't do that so not only if he would have had to do a lot in that movie to make Superman, so Man of Steel, so good that I would have been okay with him breaking Zod's neck at the end, you know. <laughs> so, so I was sitting through this movie and I was so pissed off by the by the end of it when I was pissed, royally, pissed. royally pissed. And by the time he does that, by the time he uh uh you know breaks Zod's neck. Uh, that is the turd cherry on top of my turd Sunday. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. So, I feel the same way, man. Yeah, so this is not an inconsistency, you know? Yeah. 
right, just so you guys know. And with Mr. Miracle, there there's this scene that a lot of people make fun of where Darkseid eats from a veggie platter because it's done in a playful way, right? But it's also Darkseid eating from a veggie platter. It's funny, man. Yeah, it's funny. But yeah. then there are people that are like, man, Darkseid would never do that. Why does he eat veggies? He's a man's man. He only eats meat or whatever, you know? like Just like the dumbest things that, that yeah. you can imagine. It's but, the dumbest alpha, most like wannabe alpha comments that people are trying to. Yeah, make. yeah, because because <laughs> these plebeians' idea of what dark side is is the thing that Zack Snyder is going to give us in the Snyder cut version of the yeah. Justice League. When you see the dark side with the Omega symbol branded into his skin, like a like, like a, a douche. Yeah, <laughs> that boy, man. He's a douche. He's he has to have the omega symbol like all over his body because that's just cool. It's a tattoo. <laughs> it's a brand. Look, like a I'm, cattle brand. I'm gonna invoke Godwin's law here, but Hitler was a vegetarian, alright? <laughs> <laughs> By invoking Godwin's law, I have effectively ended our podcast. <laughs> Bye everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Between the Gutters. <laughs> Have a good night. Harvard Morning Oat Crunch. <laughs> but people who think that way of Darkseid don't even don't even remember his earliest appearances, man. Like when Kirby created him, right? Darkseid, Darkseid, little dude. Not only that, but dude, the one of the first plots that he had, he created an amusement park so he could scare little children. <laughs> serious dude look it up jimmy like olsen <laughs> jimmy olsen man I'll, I'll send you a picture of it later so a cosmic conqueror mm -hmm. came all the way from the depths of outer space to create an amusement park to scare children <laughs> yes he yes. was essentially uh like a some sort of Cosmic pederast. <laughs> <laughs> a space-faring, child-touching pederast. <laughs> That's how you know he's evil, man, when he's exactly. after children. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't see what's so hard to believe about a guy like that eating from a veggie platter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no respect for fans who, like, who are so petty that they point to things like that and and th that's their grievance, right? Exactly. Like, I I'm sure they've got a bunch of other stupid grievances on top of that, but you know that in and of itself, I it, I it, I'm obliged to dismiss them as people. So, mm -hmm. if I see them crossing the street, I shan't break my 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 uh my car because <laughs> they're not even people to me yeah. <laughs> they're just speed bumps uh, like if anyone if you're gonna give tom king a hard time give him a hard time for writing rorschach yeah yeah <laughs> uh, that's that's morally less excusable for sure yeah yeah because because i've always heard him say how much he uh appreciates and respects alan moore Heck, if you read his comics, so many of his comics, including Omega Men and Mr. Miracle and Heroes in Crisis and 
Batman. So many of his comics have a nine tier, a nine panel grid because he loves Watchmen that much. And Alan Moore is just that big of an influence on him. Yeah. And he, he always talks about how much he appreciates and respects Alan Moore, but apparently that respect only goes so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got a limit, I suppose. Yeah. He must have, it must have just been too much money for him to refuse. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's enough about Tom King. Let's talk about Tom King's comic, The Vision. Yeah. So, like we said, The Vision was a 12-issue maxi-series. Albert, you want to give us a brief synopsis of the story? Yeah. So, uh, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, you know, we talked about how Tom King, uh, how other people have mentioned that Tom King writes these stories where uh, he takes characters and kind of puts them within his own context in order to tell uh, a personal story that he wants to tell. And I would say that totally applies to the vision because uh, it really, I won't say that the story happens completely in a vacuum, but it does feel a little insular in that you don't really know what, happened to vision before this all you really need to know is at this specific point in time uh well okay first of all let me give a little bit of information about the vision um so the vision is an android member of the avengers uh synthesoid synthesoid sorry he's a <laughs> synthesoid get it right albert i'm pissed royally, I'm royally pissed <laughs> I don't know why that's our running joke tonight. <laughs> so he's a synthesoid member of the Avengers. He was originally created by um, one of the Avengers' most hated foes, which is another robot called Ultron, who designed him to infiltrate the Avengers and to destroy them from within. And, you know, ultimately he uh, gains a conscience and gains sentience and turns on his master and decides to join the Avengers uh, as he learns about humanity. So that's that's my brief couple of sentence description of what the Vision is about. Uh, so in this story, what happens is the Vision has decided that he wants to take a crack at having something that's tantamount to a normal life for for him. You know, mm -hmm. as, as normal as he can have it. So he decides to take the same uh, technique and technology that created him. And he decided to create a family for himself. So he has a wife, Virginia. He has a son, Vin. And he has his daughter, Vin. So that's V-I-V. Viv. Oh, Viv. Viv, sorry. Yeah. So it's V-I-N for the son, V-I-V for the daughter. <clears throat> and um you know they live in suburbia and they are trying to adjust to this normal life even though they have all these superpowers uh he has the ability to control his body mass so that he can be as dense and as hard as diamond or he can be or he can change his density so that he can uh he's so light that he can float on air and walk through walls and he fires energy from his eyes and all of his children and his wife, they all do this too. So 
uh, yeah, the the beginning of the story is you know them trying to have a normal a normal life in suburbia uh, and you know just acclimate to their environment, the people in their neighborhood, the kids go to school, and mm-hmm. you know even Vision, like even though he's on the Avengers and off fighting, he it almost feels like he's doing an, a regular nine to five job, you know? Yeah. Uh, the way that Tom King frames his work uh, in relation to his family, like he leaves in the morning and he comes back home at night and, you know, he, he just, he's just been out at the office all day. And sometimes his office means that he's out there punching Giganto in the face for eight hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's my idea of a vision comic, just standing there, <laughs> Panel after panel of him just punching Giganto in the face. <laughs> but, um, yeah, in brief, I, I would say what ends up happening is um, something follows, uh, something essentially follows uh, the vision home from work. You know, an aspect of his uh, work life comes home and affects his family so much so in such a shocking and traumatic way that it begins to pull at the seams of the family unit of, yeah, of the family unit, as well as just their psyches. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's a story of them just trying to, it's a pretty dark story of them just trying to keep it together while, um, while trying to hide this secret, you know? Mm -hmm, mm Um, yeah, did I miss anything? No, I think that covers the essentials. Okay. So, uh, yeah, let, let's give a, a brief spoiler-free overview, just your general thoughts and impressions before we really dive in and do a full spoiler-filled analysis. Yeah, spoilful. Spoilful. <laughs> so, in so, a couple episodes, we, we introduced spoil-free. Now we do a spoil <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. Somehow I forgot to integrate that into my <laughs> daily vernacular. We are we are trying to uh, make as many catchphrases as possible uh, so that we can make merch someday. Uh, we're doing what other podcasts do. We're gonna we're gonna start naming our fans. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna call all of you gutter trash. Uh, how's that? <laughs> What's up, gutter trash? <laughs> How how y'all doing? My my minties, my mint gutter trash. <laughs> Stay stinky, y'all. Stay stinky. Stay stinky, y'all. <laughs> my gutter people, children of the guts. <laughs> my in betweeners. If you guys want to message us on uh, what name we can call our fans, let us know. <laughs> DM us. Pick one. <laughs> We got to start a poll on Twitter or something. Yeah. Somehow I, I can't really see gutter trash taken off, but you never know. <laughs> Come to me, my gutter trash. Follow us. Listen to our next episode, gutter people. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your uh, spoiler-free, spoil-free <laughs> thoughts on the, on the series, Albert? Yeah, I... I... Okay, so, okay, if we're just talking about the story, I'd have to say that it, it, 
even though there are a lot of scenes where you know you have people punching people and um, you know action going on, I would say that for me the hook really was the uh, I, I guess I call it like a like a mystery slash thriller aspect. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. So it really it's okay. It's not really a mystery because you know very early on uh, what the trauma is. And it's really about the family coping with it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, we mentioned before that Gabriel Hernandez's Gabriel Hernandez Walter's art is pretty different from typical uh, action comic book art, and mm-hmm. I think it's it suits Vision because <clears throat> it really feels makes it feel more like an indie comic than it does your run-of-the-mill action comic. Mm-hmm. Even though he does draw action scenes really well. <clears throat> like, just the way... A lot of... So much of the story revolves around uh, the tension of them trying to um, maintain the semblance of this normal life while beneath the surface trying to cover up their shared tragedy. It's It's... That stuff is pretty fascinating to me. Uh, that that was yeah, it's compelling. That was the stuff that was really compelling for me. It's just, um, you you could say that this could have been a story that didn't need to be about the vision. It could have just been a, a crime, you know, a crime drama s- story about a family uh, that that suffer uh, a tragedy and mm-hmm. just how it frays the family dynamic and their individual psyches as they tried to maintain their normal day-to-day life. Um, yeah. Uh, like, I feel like that's the only way that I can kind of talk about it without giving away too much. Um, it is, there are still a lot of bits of it that are, that are clearly rooted in the Marvel universe. I mean, it doesn't ignore visions history or any of the other, any of the other characters. Heck, um, you know, you you see a lot of cameos from a lot of other Marvel Universe characters. Uh, yeah. So, again, that's why I was hesitant to say that it happens in a vacuum, because it clearly doesn't. Um, but, you know, within the parameters of existing in the Marvel Universe, it still felt pretty isolated. And Yeah, because you don't need to actually read any other comics to make sense of this comic. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, I, I like it a lot. You know, it's, it's, I would say that the way that the story is told and the, the the way that the art portrays it, it's definitely an unsettling, there's an unsettling aspect to everything that's going on. You know, like, first of all, you have this family of androids that are trying to act human. So there are definitely things about their behaviors that are, that are creepy, really. <laughs> like yeah, they're just slightly off, right? It's like it's yeah. like when something that's obviously not human tries to act human. There's something a little strange or disturbing about it. Exactly. What's what's that called? Uh, the are you thinking about the uncanny valley? Exactly, the uncanny valley. Exactly. You're my better half, Drew. Wow! Silence. <laughs> I couldn't think of a comeback, dude. I was I was just slack jawed. 
You, you called call me. Yeah, I was slacked out, stunned that you called me your better half. Uh, I, I was ready to log out, man. You had to contemplate. Yeah. You've shaken me to the core. Even more than the comic. Yeah. <laughs> no, so for those of you who, who aren't aware of the Uncanny Valley, it's exactly what Drew was describing. When someone draws uh, or creates something that is... Well, I, I guess with the Uncanny Valley, the, what happens there is that the subject in question looks too human to the oh, point that it's true. creepy. That's true. But... But yeah, it's still a similar kind of concept, right? Like even though the Vision and his family don't necessarily look like humans because they have uh, red, red skin, skin and they don't have pupils, there's still something strange about it. It, it would be like if if you trained a gorilla to act like a human or something, like it would still yeah, look like the movements might be reminiscent of a human, but you would still recognize uh, the thing that you're looking at as an animal. Yeah. It w- yeah, it'd be unsettling. It would be disturbing. It would just... It would make the, the hairs on the back of your neck prick up just a little, mm-hmm. I, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that's that's one of the qualities about the story that, that stands out and something that I also appreciate. But overall, Albert, you, you'd say you liked this comic? Yeah, very much so. I, I think it's um, it's a really uh, insightful character analysis, or not analysis, but character study of, mm-hmm. the, all, of all the various members of their family. And on top of that, uh, like I, I, I dug the feeling of tension and suspense that, and even that unsettling, creepy aspect that we talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, because they they did such an effective job of making you feel of of making you feel those feelings. So yeah. so I, I I dug this book a lot. This was um this was something that I started collecting uh from quarter bins. I had found a bunch of issues for like thirty three cents and oddly enough before we did this podcast I found two of the two of the last issues that I needed so that I could read it. I'm still missing issue one. You know, it's my dreaded, it's my cursed white whale, but yeah, you know, I got issues two through 12 and I was able to read issue one from the library. And then I read the rest of it and I'm very glad that I collected it. Uh, and yeah, I'm very satisfied with it. I just wish I could find that first issue. <laughs> yeah. <man. laughs> one of these days, one of, one these, of these days. days. I'll maybe I'll break into someone's house and steal it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Drew? What were your thoughts on the comic? Yeah, so first of all, I got to give a shout out to our dude Eric because he was the one who gifted me the hardcover uh, as a groomsman gift. So, you know that that's a dude that really knows what's up. So shout out to Eric, thank you. But yeah, this this is a comic that I had read, uh, not when it came out, but I read it about yeah like around four years ago like back in like 2016 because i remember i remember reading uh the trade paperbacks right around the time that trump was elected <laughs> it was it was election night that night actually that's what i remember oh, interesting yeah <laughs> weird weird memory huh that is uh 
Yeah, that's that's it's a weird thing to associate with the vision, especially uh, since we read Vision this week and all that stuff happened in Washington wow. D.C. Weird, Man. huh? It came full circle. <laughs> yeah, and and the story in this comic takes place in Washington D.C. It does. It does. So that yeah, it's just a, a, of, a bunch uh, of strange coincidences. Yeah. But yeah, when I first read it, I, I didn't. I don't think I had read his Tom King's other comics at the time. Maybe yeah. I read Sheriff of Babylon, I forget. But this was the one that, that really made me interested in following his writing because pretty much all of the superlatives you just heaped on it a few moments ago and the other things that, that I appreciate about the comic is the emotive qualities because the family, man, like I actually did find myself caring about the vision and Virginia and Vin and Viv and, and the dog, you know, mm-hmm. like all of them were characters that within the short amount of space that they had in terms of the number of pages, like I still ended up caring for each of them and they, they had enough um, characterization and dialogue and scenes to make them feel real, you know, like they, they were well-developed characters who who had their own uh feelings and and emotions and by the time you you get to the end uh you know it's it's hard not to like i I can't read that ending and not feel anything you know like when i got to the ending even though i already knew how it was going to end because i read it before Mm. even the second time around i I was feeling stuff man it it didn't make me cry or anything but i was still feeling stuff yeah yeah so I, i think i think the fact that they're able to um just create these characters that that are able to e- evoke those kind of um emotions yeah those kind of responses from the reader that that's that's really special man like that's that's something that we don't see um in every superhero comic mm-hmm. Like there, there's just so much about the craft of the comic overall. Like we, we talked earlier about Walter's art, uh, but I also got to point out that the colors by Jordi Belair are right on point. Like they're, they're, they're just so perfectly moody for every scene. Like a lot of the scenes in the story take place inside their house. So when they're inside their house, things tend to be uh, enclosed and a little bit, darker and even though it's not like their house doesn't have lights or anything i think it's just that the way that uh the creators chose to depict it Mm. inside the house it it, it's it usually feels like it's it's uh just a little darker and more oppressive and and the characters want to be outside and when they are outside that's when you see warm tones and the browns and and the oranges and and the blues in the sky Uh, a lot of this the early part of the story takes place in the autumn so you get those kind of hues outside and it just it's it's just such a contrast to the scenes when they're inside their house which are for some reason uh colored with a lot of shadows yeah And, and just like the subtle things in the art like this is something that i wouldn't have noticed uh on my own but when i was reading the uh extra material in the hardcover it actually has uh an analytical essay from hassan otsmane el how uh the guy who does panel 
by panel and strip panel naked. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he writes about how the art tells the story here. And there's this one particular scene that when I, when I saw him point that out, I was like, whoa, that's a, that is a really cool scene. And, and the scene is in a, one of the earlier issues. Um, I'll just describe it. It's not really a spoiler, but it's, it's just an example of how Walter conveyed acting and emotion through his art. So it's, it's, a scene where Virginia, the mom, is inside the house and she's talking on the phone, and it, it's not—it's not a pleasant call because she's talking to somebody who's basically uh, harassing her, mm. and the rest of the family is outside, and they're just uh, so Vision and his kids are outside um, her window, and they're just talking about uh, tossing the football around, you know, having a relaxing, a relaxing day together in their yard, yeah. Yeah. and. The mom is talking on the phone, and and while she's talking, she she uh, clasps her her necklace, and she's so she's got this necklace that's shaped just like the the uh, the gems that are in their foreheads, mm-hmm. and her necklace just happens to have three of those shapes on the necklace, you know. So you could almost kind of picture it where she's when she's clasping that, it's like she's actually trying to protect her family, right? Like each of those gems represents the rest of her family. And and she's got them in her hand while she's talking on the phone to this person who's harassing her family or harassing her. Um, And it's, it's it's almost like just subtly very uh, symbolic, you know? Yeah. Very symbolic of her trying to protect her family. And, you know, she doesn't want them to know because they're just outside tossing the football around. So, you know, just little details like that 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 uh, make it a beautiful thing. Like if 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 you were looking at this by a, if this were drawn by some lesser artist, man, you know, they might not convey something like that. Um, so you got to appreciate the way that Walta just brings out so much of the depth of the emotions in in the story. Yeah. I mean, it's those little touches and little details that like add to. Those are the things that make the emotion convincing, you know. Yeah, it's it's stuff like that that makes a good comic a great comic. You yeah, because like all that all the stuff that's in the script is good, but when you have an artist who can draw like that, it becomes yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, it shows just how much like. I feel like it shows just how much. How how great. Gabriel Hernandez Walta is at like observing people, uh, yeah. You know, like the ability to to understand what little ticks and behaviors they they pull off when when they're when they're feeling all of the various emotions in the spectrum, right? So, yeah, it's it's that ability to understand how to illustrate anxiety beyond. Someone just saying, "I'm feeling anxious right now." <laughs> you know, yeah, that'd be, that would be pretty corny. <laughs> that would be corny, and I would not spend a single dime on a comic like that. It's, it's, <laughs> Unless it was to make fun of it. Yes, it's not enough. It shouldn't be enough, right? Just yeah, people, people have a language outside of the spoken language, and it's it's the ability to observe the unspoken language, the body language, the, you know, just 
the little things of how people hold themselves under certain uh, circumstances. Well, certain circumstances, exactly. So, yeah, like I, I totally uh, give give kudos to Gabriel Hernandez Walter uh, for being able to capture those those little details. It's just great. Yeah, definitely. And Jordi Belair's wonderful coloring too. Absolutely. And the other things that I liked about the story overall, uh, just the thematic elements, the thematic elements like the notions of family and trying to fit in. Like I, I think one of the, the key themes of the story is this sense of alienation. <clears throat> the alienation that, <clears throat> excuse me, the sense of alienation that the different characters feel uh, what, for for the vision it's it's always been his dream to kind of have this uh normalcy in life and to to be more human yeah he wants to fit in um so he's he's kind of alienated from that world and and then you have uh the kids you know they're they're going to high school so obviously anyone who's been a teenager knows what it means to want to fit in um you know and even even Virginia, the wife, you know, she, in her own way, uh, you know, without getting into spoiler territory, she also wants to to fit in. Um, so th- there's there's almost this sense that the theme for the book is so universal that that uh, it can apply to to any reader, but yeah. at the same time, it's it's executed in a way where it feels personal, yeah. you know, like, it, yeah. like it, it's not just a, a broad strokes kind of theme that doesn't really have anything to say, but it's actually got plenty to say about alienation and, and fitting yeah. in, but it, it, it doesn't necessarily have uh it doesn't drag you to one specific conclusion. Rather what it does is the story just shows you how things play out and you kind of have to ponder things for uh, from different perspectives in order to see, you know, you, you kind of make your own lesson from the story, right? Like you don't, it doesn't have a moral or there's no, there's no, uh, it's not a fortune you know, cookie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a fortune cookie. You just yeah. gotta, you just gotta read it and, and pay attention and, and appreciate. Yeah. And yeah, just to add to your point, like I, yeah, it, it's def it doesn't spell it out for you. It's definitely something where I think, I, well, I feel like we say this quite a bit, but it, it is something that rewards multiple readings. In that, if you read it in different ways, there's different uh, conclusions that you can definitely come to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the one thing that I was going to add was um, in terms of the sense of alienation in the comic, one of the things that I think adds a whole lot to it, uh, to, to that sense of alienation is is just their world. Like, I, I, I don't ever feel like there's... I, it always feels like there's a whole lot of space between everybody in, yeah. in the world. Like... I think maybe there's one scene at the end where there's like a group of people that are kind of crowded, but for the most part over the course of the story, like it just feels like there's a lot of negative space 
Um, yeah, definitely. So um, that's one of those things that you feel, but you don't necessarily uh, that you're not necessarily able to vocalize until you really stop and think about it. You know, like so mm-hmm. when you think about it in context of the theme of alienation, then that it gives form to that feeling that you get when you're looking at the various panels in this comic and you're just noticing just how much negative space is between everything. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even some of the, the way that some of the panels and and pages are presented to us, the, the family themselves, like all four of them, even the dog, there, there are many times when, they're just shown, uh, you know, they're they're all at home, but they're all like kind of distant from one another too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like there, like there's this one scene um, in particular that I'm thinking of uh, the, the issue eight, um, like the third page of issue eight is the splash page where you see the entire family, but they're all in different parts of the house. So yeah, just it's a subtle thing, but there's just a distance between them, you know, like they're all kind of yeah in their own world, basically. Yeah. No, that's so, I totally got that. Yeah. You have anything else uh, you want to say, generally speaking, before we move on to full spoiler territory? Well, the one thing that I wanted to mention is uh, I wanted to uh, talk about the covers real quick mike del mundo mm-hmm. he's he's another like fantastic artist and i think he's very uh tonally i think he's very similar to gabriel hernandez walta so it was a cool choice to pick him as the cover artist but mm-hmm. i do think his covers are fantastic and uh his art style is just they're just it's like I, I'm not smart or eloquent enough to, or artistic enough to like break down what it is that makes them great, <laughs> other than the fact that they're just beautiful, and yeah, the they're, one- they're beautiful, but they're also uh, symbolic too. Like, I think Absolutely. that's another great thing about about his his cover art is that he doesn't just draw a splash page of the hero. Uh, it fits with the theme of the comic of what's going yeah, on in the comic. It, it actually fits. It's got something to do with the story, with the yeah. content, you know? Yeah. Those are always the covers that I like the most. Yeah. The ones that actually have something to do with the insides, but they don't they don't necessarily have to show a scene from yeah. the story inside, but it shows you something that conveys the same yeah. emotion or the just some kind of quality that evokes what you're about to read. Yeah. And I was like the, the the one main thing that I wanted to mention was I, I think it's the cover for the first issue of the series, but um it sort of sums up where or like it sort of sums up the direction that the comic goes in, which is mm-hmm. Mike Del Mundo draw the very first cover that Mike Del Mundo draws is the entire Vision family. And they look they're 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 in a portrait and they look very much like a typical um, like a typical family, kind of what you would expect, you know? So there's mm-hmm. you know, a mother and a father and a daughter and a son, and they're just posing for a painting. And But even he, even Mike Del Mundo, uh, I, I feel like, I, again, I, I can't speak for him, but 
I want to say that he understood the direction that the book was going because even that cover captures that same feeling of uneasiness that the that you would feel throughout the rest of the book and it captures that feeling of these creatures these beings these synthesoids they're trying to mimic humanity but yeah like that that smile that the vision has on the cover of the first issue it, it's weird yeah yeah it's 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 unsettling and, yeah and they're not they're, they're they're clearly trying to mimic humanity but they're clearly not humans is the thing yeah right? they're phasing through their door yeah yeah and on top of that they're again even though they're a family they're you know doing like a family portrait and they're kind of close together the thing about it is um i don't know about you but i i still feel like there's that sense of it's like almost mechanical coldness between them so that even though they're like physically within close proximities to one of the one another you still feel that sense of distance almost Mm -hmm. you know yeah make sense yeah definitely yeah i see that man one of the covers that i really like was the cover he did for issue 10 yeah, uh, it's it's also the cover to the dust jacket in the for the hardcover, mm. but issue ten is the one. It's it's uh, the family tree cover, right, right. And it, it's it's all black and the family tree. It it's cool because it's designed to look like a tree, like it's shaped like a tree. Right. But it's also it also designed it's also designed to look like a circuit board. Yeah, that's cool. And like then you that. have all of the characters related to the visions um you know depicted in the appropriate hierarchy so you got hank pym at the top because he created ultron ultron created vision and he created victor mancha and then vision created virginia and and have their kids and then uh wonder man is in there because the vision's brain patterns are based on wonder man's brain patterns exactly there's the grim reaper because he's wonder man's brother yeah and then you got scarlet witch because she was married to to Vision, and then you have their kids because they had kids. Right, right, right. Like a pretty simple concept, right? Like if you if somebody just said, "Make a, a family tree a cover," you could do you could do that in so many different ways. And and I love the way that Mike yeah. Del Mundo did it. It's just a really cool looking design. It's really awesome. Yeah, um, it's it's the sort of design that I would I. I, I would get a poster of that, you know, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it, it's basic. It's not just a picture. It's like graphic design is what it is. You know, it's just so well yeah. done. Just outstanding. Yeah. And I want to go back to the other cover that I was talking about. So I, I just wanted to clarify, I, I, I was remembering it just from memory, but uh, just for those of you who are listening, so they weren't, okay. So that the cover I was discussing earlier, I, I thought it was them doing like a family portrait, but it's not. It's just them standing in front of their door, phasing through their door and waving like a typical American or typical family. Yeah. But well, again, I mean, some people can take family portraits in their doorway, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know because I don't have a family, so there's no point in me taking portraits. But I just imagine. <laughs> Albert, you there? My spirit has disheveled. 
<laughs> we are beasts so, among men. <laughs> is it time to get into spoiler territory? Is it is it spoifu time? It's spoifu time. Spoifu. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Everybody who's listening, if you haven't read the comic yet, we are about to just go straight into all the juicy details. Yep. So just, if you don't want to ruin it for yourself, mm-hmm. now's the time to, to bow out. All right. You ready? So what you got, Albert? What what, what are some of the things that, that you want to discuss in terms of the story or the plot? Okay, so... I guess it would help just to give the the spoiler synop spoiler version of the synopsis. Okay. So, okay. Um, so again, this is a story about how the Vision decides that he wants to start a family and he wants to have a normal life, uh, or something similar to a normal life. So he creates for himself his wife Virginia, his daughter uh, Viv, his son Vin, and. Uh, they send the son off to go to school and they live in the suburbs. It's all very like typical Americana, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to maintain their, uh, some sense of normalcy. They're trying to adjust to their environment. They're trying to integrate themselves into, uh, the community. And then one night the Grim Reaper shows up. And, uh, for those of you who don't know, he's, uh, he's a super villain that has ties to the vision in that again drew mentioned this earlier but the vision is a synthesoid whose brain patterns were based on the brain patterns of another character by the name of wonder man and wonder man's arch nemesis is or uh wonder man's brother is uh one of the avengers greatest villains well not greatest villains. (laughs) (laughs) he's one of their villains (laughs) one of their villains I, i feel like they throw him around quite a bit you know yeah, yeah. I think in the early days he he was able to hold his own against the Avengers as yeah. a squad, but nowadays it's it's kind of tough to imagine him standing up against any five random Avengers by himself. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, here's what I was gonna say. I I actually liked him a lot when I was a kid, uh, just because I had his Marvel card, and on top of that, he had a Skype, and I thought that that was the coolest thing ever because I never saw no villain with a Skype. Yeah, that's true. So, it, so, so I was big on him as a kid. It was, a uh, in place of his hand. It wasn't it. It was, it was, it, it wasn't. So, okay. So as a kid, I remember talking to another kid on the school bus when I was t- talking to him about my Marvel cards and I was talking about the Grim Reaper. And up to that point, I, I didn't know, what the classic Grim Reaper character was, you know, that vision of death with the giant scythe and the black robe and the hood. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea who that character was, but, you know, I knew who the Marvel card was. And then when I told another, my friend about it, and he explained that the Grim Reaper, Reaper was, you know, the uh, embodiment of death, you know, my child like mine was even more into that. (laughs) (laughs) I did not grow up well. (laughs) That's funny that that you as a little kid, you were just enamored or entranced by the fact that a dude with a scythe for a hand 
was the embodiment of death. Yeah. I mean, like, I was trying to reconcile a lot of ideas at this point, but, you know, whatever weird version of the Grim Reaper I understood in my head, like, I, I glommed onto that, and I was into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the Grim Reaper comes to their house, and uh, he basically wants to kill them all, you know? So he co- he comes to their home while the Vision is off on a mission, and uh, Virginia, the wife, the mother, she, you know, she her survival instincts, instincts kick in, and she ends up killing the Grim Reaper, and she understands that the repercussions for something like that, because they're not humans and they're synthesoids, is that the community will shun them and they may even kill them all, you know, or deactivate them. So, you know, she she takes the dead body of the Grim Reaper and she buries him in the backyard and she tries to maintain a normal... Uh, decor she tries to maintain normal decorum uh you know tries to pretend that everything is normal um the vision comes back home uh and is unaware that anything has really happened uh well no no that's not well, true. that's not true Vision's he's aware that stuff has happened but yeah. but he just thinks that the grim reaper she just tells him the grim reaper ran away exactly exactly and he, then they have to help uh viv because viv was injured in the attack exactly exactly um but while they are rebuilding their daughter and restoring her to life, and while they are dealing with the fact that the Grim Reaper had attacked him in their home, she receives a mysterious cell phone. And on the cell phone is a video uh, recording of, of what she did. And somebody is, blackmail- uh, somebody is blackmailing her to try to, for, for whatever shady reason, we eventually find out that the person that's blackmailing her is actually a neighbor and they're just, they, they're not asking for anything unreasonable. They're just regular humans who are afraid of either what the, you know, the vision family are or afraid of what the vision family will bring with them uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's a superhero and all this guy wants to do is get, them to leave the neighborhood so he he threatens to use this uh video footage that he recorded of her you know killing the grim reaper and burying him in the backyard and he threatens to use this footage to um blackmail her to leave but she she secretly sneaks away from her family to to meet this uh the blackmailer and to confront him and you know, when she goes to meet him and he reveals what he's going to do, she approaches him and he pulls a gun on her and he fires two shots. And, you know, we mentioned that the, she has the ability to alter the density of her body. So the bullet, she makes herself light and... Um, and she bullets, phases. Yeah, she phases. And the bullets yeah. phase right through, go through her and they end up killing um, his son. And this guy's son happens to go to school with Viv and even has a little crush on her, which is all kinds of messed up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he really had a crush, but he did say that she was cool. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were lab partners and 
he seemed to get along with her. Yeah. Even though he didn't get along with yeah, I, her brother. They didn't explicitly say that he had a crush, but... I think she might have had a crush on him, possibly. Okay. Well, I, the way I read it was he was trying to get her number. So I Oh, okay. Because remember, he was talking to the brother, and he was like, do you have a number where I can reach her? And, you know, then he wouldn't give it to her. And then when he didn't see her again, he was trying to get her number at that point. So I read that, you know, as as a single man, um, <laughs> I've, I've constantly found a bunch of different ways to try to sneak a girl's number into my phone, you know? That's true, man. That's true. I was yeah. I was trying to read it from the perspective of a of a confident grown adult. So that that didn't naturally occur to me, but now that you've uh, t- pointed out that I should be reading it from uh my normal viewpoint of an insecure, lonely man. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. He was he was de- definitely in love with her. <laughs> yeah, so um yeah, so with the death of uh, the son, uh, Virginia reacts because she knows that this, things are spiraling out of control, and she she messes up the 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 dad that was blackmailing her, and basically puts him in a coma. And her actions end up forcing the rest of the Vision family to respond to to the to to her actions by either knowingly or unknowingly covering it up. And again, things just spiral out of control as more and more people begin to, uh, more and more outside forces outside of the family begin to figure out what's going on and that there's something not right with the family. Yeah. Uh, and they try to deal with it up until the ultimate conclusion where there's just a lot of tragedy that goes on. Yeah. The, the thing that that is very sad about the whole pro all these proceedings is that it, it, it almost feels like if she had just told the vision, the truth to begin with after he, after yeah. the Grim Reaper thing, yeah. a lot of, a lot of things could have been avoided and probably solved in a, in a more, uh, you know, reasonable or peaceful manner. Yeah. But because, yeah, yeah. But because she was just trying to pro- protect him from, you know, ha- having to deal with, like she wouldn't want this kind of taint on his reputation, basically. Yeah. And she was trying to protect him, protect her family um, on her own. And by doing it all on her own, things she kind of just lost control of the situation because one thing kept happening after another. And then before she knew it, it wasn't like she was she could just bury the kid and his father yeah. somewhere, you know, like that. Yeah, like yeah. that that wouldn't have that wouldn't have gotten it done. Yeah. So. So eventually, uh, the police end up uh, interviewing the vision because you know there's a lot of circumstantial links to to the vision, his family, and this deceased teenage boy and his unconscious father. Yeah. So the vision ends up lying to the police <laughs> because yeah. he's trying to protect his wife now, and he doesn't know fully what's going on either it's 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 pretty messed up stuff man yeah but it, at the same time it's it's very understandable like you can definitely yeah. understand the motivations for the characters and you can buy into the fact that they did all this yeah like when you mentioned 
um, that description of how it was just a bunch of little things that, you know, eventually just spiral out of control because they just kept piling on each other. It, mm-hmm. it sort of reminds me of, um, well, it, it put in my mind what, what this movie reminded me of so much. And, you know, uh, this is more for film buffs, but it really felt like it was a Coen Brothers film. So, for those of you who... Oh, okay, so is The Vision Marvel Comics meets the Coen Brothers? Um, I'm not going to put it that way, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, w- I would prefer to actually produce a well-thought-out description as opposed to <laughs> just a mishmash of, a, you know, a couple of phrases because it's convenient for me uh, to do so. <laughs> but... A lot of Coen Brother films tend to be these crime thrillers where um, where it starts out in the, – the settings tend to be – like, well, Fargo especially tends to be uh, – it, it tends to be uh, – Fargo especially because it's, it's a story that takes place in Minnesota. So it's very – it's not the kind of place where you would expect a crime to happen. It, feels very americana i'm gonna i'm gonna say that again mm-hmm. but the thing about it is it the, the thing about fargo in particular and other coen brother films is it always starts off with there's always this cast of like weird characters and it's always it's it always feels like there are a bunch of weird occurrences and misunderstandings that happen and that pile up on top of each other that lead to yeah. this really big tragedy at the end, you know? Yeah. It almost feels like while you're reading it or while you're watching a, a Coen Brothers movie or while you're reading The Vision, it's like, well, if they had just... If all these little things hadn't gone wrong or if all these different elements hadn't gone wrong and uh, piled up on top of each other, it wouldn't have... It wouldn't have ended in this just massive tragedy yeah you know and and that's essentially what 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 we get with the vision um the funny thing is is that i call them little things piling up on each other but they're not by any other standard they'd be pretty massive things it's just that we're talking about a superhero comic so you know a super villain crashing into her house blowing it up and and uh you know stabbing her daughter and then her killing that super villain and burying him in the backyard that's just a little thing (laughs) <laughs> because you know it's not like she beat up galactus or anybody right <laughs> it's petty man it's petty <laughs> yeah from a cosmic scale of view it's it's pretty it's a pretty small thing like i i didn't see the watcher coming in to observe this you know, important happening <laughs> right 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 <laughs> yeah like another film that it reminds me of is uh i think it was called superbia which wasn't a Coen Brothers uh, film, but it was directed by George Clooney, and I think it was produced by the Coen Brothers. And it's very similar to this in tone because I think it takes place in the 1950s, and it's it's again it's it's there are a lot of similarities because it's a story that's about a seemingly normal family in the suburbs, mm-hmm. but due to a lot of uh, misunderstandings and um, minor things happening 
over the course of the film. Yeah. Like, all of it just collides to make this massively messed up thing happen at the end. <laughs> I got to check that one out. Yeah, it's it was an interesting film. I don't think I don't think it's something that's well regarded, but if you're a fan of Coen Brother films, it's it's uh it's interesting just to watch just for the educational value. Mhm. Did you have any thoughts on uh on the not uh the spoiler version of the story like were there any things that you noticed that you felt were uh worth mentioning or that impacted you in any way let's see one of the f- amusing issues was uh issue seven the the one that michael walsh drew because that was a a deep dive into the history of the vision and scarlet witch uh-huh so in the in the bonus material in the hardcover, it's got the uh, the script for that, and it also has little notes because you know how in this issue there are these there are these scenes where um, he talks about the thirty seven times that he saved the world. Yeah, and there's kind of a rundown of of each of those. <laughs> Wait, is that the Gabriel Walter issue? I don't remember if that was the Gabriel Walter issue. Or was it the Michael Walsh issue? No, I'm thinking of a, a different issue. There was an issue where... You know which issue I'm talking about, though, right? I do, where he's he's talking about how... From what I remember... Uh, so I just recently read it, but it all, it's all kind of running together because... Yeah. But from what I remember, the vision at this point is... He's building up to telling the police officer that's investigating the lie, you know, and that's a big thing for him because he's an Avenger, right? Yeah. Oh, I found the issue. Yeah. Yeah. So over the course of the story, uh, he's talking to the police about everything that's happened, but the narrative in his head, he's talking, he's constantly talking about how he saved the world 37 times and he proceeds to list uh, over the course of several pages, all of the different uh, threats that he saved the world from. And it culminates with him... I don't remember like what the specific dialogue or text was saying, but um, my sense of it from what I remember was it culminates with him essentially saying that I've saved the world, you know, 37 times, and, you know, now I'm kind of forced to... I'm in this position where, you know, I'm this hero and I'm respected and trusted by the community. But in order to protect my family, I'm going to have to tell a lie. Yeah. And lie to the police. I'm going to have to lie to the police, no less. And yeah. it's, yeah, it, it was just, it's an interesting issue, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. Just so that was, that was my mistake earlier. Um, I do want to talk about the Scarlet Witch issue later, but first I want to talk about this. Uh, it, was, it was issue five. That's the one where um, he runs down the, uh, what you call it, the, the 37 instances. The, yeah. the other, oh, actually, another thing uh, before I forget to mention it, the the narration captions in in the series, I thought those were well done because 
you don't know who the narrator is until you get to the midway point. Yeah, you're right. Because once you get there, it's kind of a it's kind of a shock. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. it's a pretty good twist. Yeah. And then later on, there's a another narrator at the end when when you find out it's Scarlet Witch who's narrating um, the second half of the story, which makes sense. Really, it's really effective. Yeah. Um, but, but the thing about uh, issue five when Agatha Harkness is you know, giving this list of the 37 times he saved the, that, that he saved the world. Like there's a lot of famous moments here, you know, like there's, there's stuff that, that you and I recognize. I mean, obviously Ultron comes up a few times. Yeah. There's uh the Kree Skrull war operation yeah. galactic storm, the Kang dynasty. Yeah. But then there's also some funny stuff too, like Atlantis attacks, <laughs> you know, um, there's, uh, the the Korvac saga, the Morgan conquest. There's and at the very end, dude, Master Pandemonium. Yeah, <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> that. That made me laugh <laughs> because because it's it's one thing to to save the world from Galactus, but I was scratching my head thinking, wait, how did Master Pandemonium threaten the world? <laughs> well, he's got demons for hands, so <laughs> he can't even put shoes on. He can't. How does he go to the bathroom? From what I remember, don't the demons have little hands? That's true, but do you really want a demon? <laughs> your, your, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> see, see, that is why it's always a bad idea to make a deal with the devil. Yep. So, so Master Pandemonium, for you guys who don't know, he's he's this. Kind of a jobber. He's definitely a jobber he's villain. Definitely a jobber. He's villain. definitely a jobber villain. But the dude used to be this famous, or I don't even know if he was famous, but he was an actor, and he got into to some accident where he lost one of his hands. So he made a deal with the devil. He made a deal with Mephisto to get his limb back, and Mephisto took that deal and made it so that all of his limbs would become demons. Yeah. So he literally has demons for his hands. Yeah. I mean, they're, they are little tiny people that are growing out of his wrists. And yeah. they have personalities and limbs of their own. No legs, but they have little arms and hands of their own. Yeah. Faces. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's pretty disturbing if it existed in real life, but most of the time when you it's on in the comic, it just looks ridiculous. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I totally agree. If there was a real person and I saw that, I would, I would probably vomit. But, <laughs> yeah. but because it's a comic book, it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So the idea that this dude with demons for hands is as much of a danger as Thanos or Galactus, there, there's something funny about that. It made me laugh <laughs> when I was reading it. Um, yeah, and I also wanted to talk about issue seven, the Scarlet Witch issue. That that one was the one that was by Michael Walsh, and I thought that that was an interesting issue because it it's the one that goes straight into flashback territory, um, and you just get this it, it it just layers so much history and context behind everything that the Vision has gone through uh, throughout throughout his existence, basically. So I, I thought that was a very helpful issue. I mean, 
for us, it was, it was definitely cool just to see some of these uh, classic scenes from, you know, the history of the Avengers. Mm. Even even uh, seeing the, the white version of the Vision from the, the 90s, which is when we were growing up reading right. Avengers and stuff. Even though that I know now that I'm a, an adult, I know that's not cool or anything. I mean, that was a pretty pretty lame concept, but there's still something nostalgic about seeing that um, in a modern comic. It was the vision that I grew up with because, I mean, for the longest time, that was the the vision that I would picture when I thought of the vision. Yeah, because he was the one on the card and he was the one on all the comics. So yeah. That's how he looked in the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, yeah. That whole that whole era. Yeah. Operation Galactic Storm. The uh, the other appearance of a character that I really appreciated in the story was Victor Mancha. Yeah, I thought that was pretty well done. How uh, so there there are a lot of like little flourishes that they added to Victor Mancha's role in, in the comic that I I thought was a cool touch, you know, to be quite honest. Uh, mm-hmm. so Victor Mancha is another uh synth- synthesoid that was yeah. created by uh Ultron. And so they treat him basically like Vision's brother. Uh so he's he's essentially their well, he's not kooky, but I'm going to use the term anyway. He's like their crazy uncle, you know. <laughs> crazy Uncle Joey or something, you know. <laughs> so, like Full House? Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd say so. So, um, you know, he, uh, his part of the story uh, is about him. He shows up and he decides to stay with... What What's the family called as a whole? Are they just the Visions? Yeah, I yeah, guess so. Right? Yeah, yeah. it's Viv Vision, and yeah, so so he comes to stay with the Visions, right? And to them, it's like, oh, your uncle wants to come and visit. He wants to know the family, right? So, you know, the the entirety of the first issue of his appearance, that's that's seemingly what is going on. Um, so one of the things that I have to mention is over the course of the comic, after everything that's happened, after the trauma that's affected uh, the Vision family, they they're all beginning to act a little funny. Like their program, it's like their programming isn't uh, isn't computing properly. So like they're glitching is essentially what they're doing. You know, they'll repeat words over and over. Um, they'll just have like weird behaviors. I mean. Again, they're they're not humans anyway, so their behaviors are technically already weird to begin with. Uh, but weird for them, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, so and the other big thing on top of that is that Agatha Harkness uh, ate one of those flowers from Wendigor Mountain yeah. that allowed her to that and it allowed her to see a vision of the future. Uh-huh. And what she saw was that the vision would go basically go mad and, and kill everybody, kill all the heroes. Yeah. So that that's why the, the other heroes in the Marvel Universe community are trying to band together and figure out a way to prevent that outcome from occurring. Yeah. So, so they, they track down Victor Mancha, yeah. who they know was created by Ultron. He was created in Runaways, by the way, in case uh, you want to find out more about him. We uh, talked about the Runaways and 
one of our other episodes during our Marvel Top 25 countdown. Yep. But Victor Mancha, so he's he's he looks like a teenager, even though he's technically Vision's brother. Yeah. Uh, he looks like a normal person. He's got yeah, skin and he hair. looks like a normal person too. He doesn't have the red skin or the gem on his forehead or anything like yeah. that. He just looks like a teenage. He fits in. Teenage boy. Yeah, he fits in. And the the other thing, um, I think we mentioned this a while ago about in one of our other episodes where, when we were talking about uh, the Runaways and how after Brian K. Vaughn left, the series kind of floundered and and the other and all the characters in the book, they were kind of just like people kept trying to do stuff with them, but nothing ever stuck. Uh, no, nothing ever stuck. Um, I mean, the book tried to go on for a little bit under the runaways but it ended up getting canceled and then relaunched and then canceled again yeah and you know it just wasn't successful and then you had the characters just getting thrown off into whatever corner of the marvel universe that someone thought they could fit yeah it was never a good fit and one of the places where they threw victor mancha was in this comic called avengers ai yeah trying to read that and it was just a piece of garbage (laughs) wasn't that humphreys yeah, that was Sam Humphreys. Yeah. I mean, Bumfreeze. <laughs> Sam Bumfreeze. <laughs> and and that comic was supposed to be an Avengers comic that had characters that were uh, you know, robotic and whatnot. So they were trying to th- just scrounge up all the different robot characters. So Vision and Victor Mancha were on it. So I guess that makes sense. And Tom King, uh, you know, he makes reference to it, yeah. which which works, you know, because it, it's, it gives you a sense of the shared universe and the continuity. But it, he also, Tom King also doesn't bother you with making you feel like you yeah. need to know what Avengers AI is, you know? Like, it, it's pretty self-explanatory. It was just... He gives Some you just enough information know. that he can that we can all ignore it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. he spends more time giving us information about Victor Mancha's origins in relation to Runaways, which makes a lot more sense. And even even the things that uh, Victor ends up doing in in the story, like I still feel like it 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 fits his character. And and somebody could say. Man, Victor Mancha would never be addicted to vibranium. Yeah. <laughs> but, dude, again, it's just one of those things that, that isn't... I don't think it's totally disrespectful to the character, and it works in the story, man. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is is that even though, by the end of the story, even, even though uh, Virginia kills him, the, the cool thing is, is that when Rainbow Rowell came in and relaunched uh, Runaways, gave them a fresh start, she uh, acknowledged what happened, you know, like, and, and for a, a big part of the early part of her runaways, Victor Mancha is, is just this, uh, he's just a head. head. Yeah. He, and, and it, it's, it's cool to see things where the stories aren't completely ignored, but you, you have those elements of continuity, but people aren't slavish to them and, and make it yeah. feel, it doesn't feel like you have to know everything that happened to these characters or you won't understand. It's just, yeah. you know, a brief acknowledgement. And then everything you need to know about the story is contained within those pages. Was there, was, were people really upset that he was addicted to vibranium? No, I don't know. 
<laughs> I assumed that there was some fanboy out there who was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, yeah. I, in my mind, I was just like, why wouldn't he? I, I, I don't see why he would or wouldn't be. I don't know. Uh, anyways, forget, forget that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Uh, the revelation at towards the end of the story is that, yeah, he was sent by the Avengers to infiltrate and uh, to infiltrate the Vision family and to try to get them to reveal whatever the, you know, whatever the dark secret is, and hopefully de-escalate the situation so that this uh, vision of the Vision killing all the Avengers doesn't come to fruition. And. Um, yeah, it was a really cool issue. I, I thought it was, I thought the twist of, uh, the twist of finding, how they find out that Victor Mancha is working against uh, the Vision family was pretty well done, pretty surprising. I, I definitely wasn't expecting it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, what ends up happening is uh, Vin Vision, uh, he's, He's outside throwing a ball around with uh, Sparky, the the Vision dog, uh, and he throws a ball at this house, and the dog phases through the wall of the house, the door of the house, and goes inside. And Vin follows him in there, only to find Victor Mancha talking to Captain America about his plans and what he's doing, and how he's infiltrating the the Vision family, and. In a moment of, you know, panic, he use uh, Victor Mancha uses his powers to subdue uh, Vin Vision in the hopes that he can kind of de-escalate the situation. But I think the implication is that he's so hooked on vibranium and he's so messed up by it that he doesn't really have full control of his powers, and he ends up he ends up killing Vin Vision. And yeah. Ultimately, that's the thing that sets off Vision yeah. to, to basically lash out against the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. So after after that, when they when when Victor gets taken into custody, um, the rest of the Vision family they're they're just basically under house arrest for a while until Iron Man figures out what to do with them, and. That whole issue gives gives you an interesting chance to see some uh, robot existentialism. You know, like it, it's it's that whole thing that you see in a lot of uh, stories like this, like a lot of cyberpunk kind of stories with androids and whatnot, where you have robots or androids or synthesoids wondering if they have a soul or what makes them human. And it, it's cool to see, um, you know. A vision comic explore stuff like that it's it's the kind of stuff that that you would expect it to explore so it, it it's definitely it would have been weird if if they didn't really uh you know directly explore or acknowledge that and then the vision ends up going to the to the prison where where uh, victor is held so he can avenge his son and mm. uh yeah that's when you see that Virginia ends up uh, killing Victor instead, so that the Vision can keep his hands clean. And it, it, it's 
it's something there's something uh i guess i would say noirish about the way it all plays out like uh, virginia's entire story arc reminds me of something that you might come across in in a crime story where it's like you were we were saying earlier um you know she starts off trying to do the right thing at the beginning but every time she tries to do what she thinks is the right thing it just makes things worse yeah and yeah. things get so bad at, at the end she she can't do anything except commit suicide and it's just uh you know it, at that point it, it's just a tragedy yeah there's, there's really nothing left uh yeah there's there's nothing left to say besides how tragic it all ends and the the emotion that uh in that final scene man when the final scene between the vision and virginia she's she's dying from the the poison from the zenla vase yeah there's just something about that whole scene that not only does it um call back to the beginning of the of the series the beginning of the story more mm-hmm. more innocent times but it it effectively gives you this um ending to the story you know like the the tragedy it, it kind of feels like this 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 whole story was just as much her story as it was the vision story yeah. because so much of what happens is driven by virginia mm-hmm. so you by the time you get to this point in the story when when she's dying in his arms tom king and gabriel hernandez walter have already spent so much time building her up as a three-dimensional character whose motivations you can believe and whose whose hopes and dreams you can understand so it just makes it more tragic when you get to the end yeah but but there's also this this quality of how all these bad choices that she make that she made <laughs> ironically that's what makes her human hmm. that's yeah i yeah I, I haven't considered that but that's uh that's a good way to put it yeah it, it's it's kind of a kind of a heavy but also kind of grim uh conclusion if 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 that's how you interpret the story right it's like yeah. like she spends so much time trying to be human and by she being was... human she makes bad choices because <laughs> human beings make bad choices all the time yeah. so in following that if following that train of thought you know she with all the bad choices that she's made she's in some ways she's more human than the rest of her family. Yeah. Yeah. She was human all along and she didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That is uh oof. That's heavy, man. Yeah. That I think that's why this story hits me so hard because those are the the kind of stories that that I appreciate, man. Like the stories that that have something to say about what it means to be human and just what it means to, to see that kind of emotion on the page. It's, it's not an easy thing to, to convey even, even in the little epilogue, I'm just flipping a couple pages over from the ending uh, where she, where Virginia dies. Right. But that, yeah. those last couple pages where, um, 
where Viv is about to go back to school. Yeah. Like, it's a small little detail, but she's wearing her mom's necklace in that scene when she's saying goodbye to her dad and, and about to fly off to school. Hmm. Because her last moments with her mom, she was mad at her mom for learning that her mom basically killed the boy that she was interested in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and she just kind of like, she broke the table and she stormed off. Yeah. And her mom was just, she just wasn't willing to listen to her mom's uh, explanation of everything that happened. But here at the end, you get the sense that she's made her peace and, you know, her mom's her mom. She's, she's still got love for her mom and she's wearing her necklace. Yeah. It's something where you didn't need to have a scene where she talks to her dad about how much she, misses her mom or loves her or anything, you know, it's just a little detail in the art communicates all you need to know. And then they can do a scene where we talk about something else. Yeah. It's okay for certain things to be left unsaid, you know, Yeah, like I don't, I don't have to have every, like I'm aware that things happen outside of what I see, <laughs> you know, Yeah, like, yeah. So like, I, I hate, people or not well i do hate people but (laughs) (laughs) i hate those i I hate when people feel like they need to see everything in a story you know and it's just a little bit of subtlety can go a long way you know yeah yeah stuff can stuff can happen off panel off screen right like it requires you to do more work as a reader it requires you to like use your imagination use your imagination i i also think Back to your point, I think it. I think it shows what exceptional skill a storyteller has to be able to communicate those things to you without mm-hmm. having to explicitly say to you that this is happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Again, back to that earlier example, it's like instead of telling me, "Hey, I feel anxious." You know, that's one way to go, but, you know, all these little things that you communicate, you know, as a part of your story, either visually or through context, Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. to get that without you having to explicitly say that, that's, that's impressive. That really is impressive. Yeah, we, we didn't need a thought balloon or a narrative caption describing every single thing that she was thinking, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, and, and I'd even go so far as to say, like, real life doesn't even work that way, you know? Like, things happen when I'm not... The world doesn't stop existing when I'm not in the room. I mean, I act like that, but that's because <laughs> I'm a self-centered jerk. But, <laughs> but I'm aware that the world goes on around without whether I'm there or not, you know? That yeah. things are going to happen out of context. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Any other uh, final thoughts about the story that you want to talk about? No, that was good, man. Like, that was, uh, I feel satisfied. I, yeah, man. I, I really like this comic. It's definitely uh, a must-read, in my opinion, if if you're interested in, in Marvel Comics. If you're interested in the vision. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's good stuff. You want to go into uh, other recommendations that we would have 
uh, yeah. that are in the similar vein to this? Yeah, let's, let's talk about some recommendations. So, so for people who might have read The Vision and maybe you're, you're still kind of chasing that feeling, we have a few recommendations that, that uh, in different ways, they, they could be things that you might like if you liked The Vision. Um, yeah, so I mentioned earlier that the, uh, that vision really did feel, there was, there was an element of like creepiness to it and this element of, uh, family drama to it. And one of the, when you asked me this question earlier, one of the comics that, jumped out at me or one of the stories that jumped out at me was a history of violence by John Wagner and Vince Locke. Mm-hmm. Um, now to be fair, like I, I, I want to be as transparent with our listeners as, as much as possible, but um, you hate I, people. I do hate people like first and foremost, let, let me be clear on that. <laughs> I detest them. <laughs> no, I, I, I haven't actually read this comic, so the thing about it is this comic was turned uh, a history of violence was turned into a movie, and I really feel like the movie does remind me of uh, Vision in certain ways. Uh, the main the main thing for me being that a history of violence is about a family in a small town that seem like that are seemingly a perfect family uh, until. Uh, a, a shocking trauma happens to them that pulls at the thread of their, of everything that they know, you know, and it, and evil forces for the lack of a better term are invited into their life. But the, the scarier thing is that their true natures come out within the family. And, uh, you know, these, these, seemingly harmless people really have some dark desires and um just yeah they just have like dark desires and dark impulses that are unleashed because of this trauma and it's just about them trying to navigate and maintain their sense of normalcy in spite of what's going on you know and and it, it it has a a more down uh, beat ending to it than Vision does, uh, in the sense that yeah, I I, I can't say that there that it, it's it's a as uplifting uh, you know message about what it means to be human as much as it's kind of this chilling. It, it leaves you with this sense of uh, this sense of dread of the unknown because once once the demons are released from this family, what is what are they going to look like after that? <laughs> well, as long as the demons aren't attached to somebody's hands, should be okay. That that's true. Vigo Mortensen didn't have demons for hands by the end of the movie, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> yeah, that that was a really good movie, man. Uh, like you bringing it up again makes me want to watch it again. I have the comic. I really like the comic. The yeah. the comic and the and the film are are both different animals, but I appreciate them both in in different ways. 
yeah that, that's definitely a, a good recommendation what have you got so for me I, I would say mr miracle by tom king and mitch garrods uh talked a little bit about mr miracle earlier at the sh- in the show um so just to briefly uh try and sell it to you guys it's it's a story like the vision about family uh in, in this case it's about mr miracle and big barda and their their marriage as well as how they have a, a newborn baby so it's, it's another story about about family and dark side um is involved as our as well as the other new gods but you know dark side is He's actually a part of Mr. Miracle's family because he's technically Mr. Miracle's adoptive father. Although he was a pretty deadbeat father. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the things we're learning about him, he's a potential pederast. He's a deadbeat <laughs> father. Uh, he's a sexual Tyrant. harasser. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, he's many things. Darkseid is things. many things. He's a tyrant and a warlord. Y'all, y'all can't define him. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say if, if anybody really liked Tom King's writing in The Vision, you'll find more to enjoy in Mr. Miracle. Another book that I would recommend, if you're if you're in if you like the fact that The Vision was a 12-issue self-contained story about a character that doesn't get enough love. I would also recommend looking up Black Bolt by Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward. This is another Marvel series. I forget what year exactly it came out. It was pretty similar time, maybe like 2017 or thereabouts. I forget exactly, but Black Bolt of the Inhumans. He in this 12 issue series, he it's another story about uh, well, maybe not so much about family, but more about finding escape and and freedom fitting in uh finding your place in in the world um it's it's in some ways i found the story even more emotional than than the vision it's also more of a kind of a fantastical story like it, a big chunk of it takes place in outer space and there's cosmic elements and the the art and the colors are just crazy mind blowing yeah christian ward's art is psychedelic is the only way yeah. that I could describe it. Yeah. So I, I would definitely recommend that. And, and it's, it's got that feeling of, of uh, satisfaction like the vision does because you're, you're just reading a complete in and of itself story in 12 issues. Yeah. And it, it, it's a character that, like I said, doesn't get a whole lot of love under normal circumstances. So it was cool to see him get one solid story yeah. And uh, one more Marvel book I would recommend is Runaways by Rainbow Rowell and Christopher Anka. So that that current volume of Runaways, if you want to find out what happens next to Victor Mancha, check that out. And thematically, it's not the the tone of Runaways isn't quite as uh, tragic as the vision, maybe. But I will say that some of the themes are a little bit similar. Um, because Runaways at its core is about found family and, and, you know, it's a different type of family than the traditional nuclear family you see in the vision, but 
Mm. In Runaways, it is about the kids um, leaning on each other and just finding where they fit in the world alongside each other because they are each other's family. So, mm. yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that run of Runaways. And you yeah. have one more, right? Yes, I do. I have um, – there was a comic that I read uh, about last year, I think, called Home After Dark by David Small. <clears throat> now, this is uh, not so much of a superhero comic. It's definitely more based in reality. And uh, I would say that it, it, it has a similar tone to Vision uh, in the sense that it's a story – it's a story about fa- – it's, it's a family drama for one – but it's also about the, I guess the darkness within families uh, is the only way that I can describe it. Like the the thing about um, Home After Dark that I remember is that there, there certainly isn't this pretense of them trying to maintain uh, this perfect family. But it's more about how this uh, the the main character in the story goes off to live in a in small town in a small town in California, and it's the kind of town where everything seems normal, but beneath it all, there's there's definitely an unsettling element to it. You know, like just the kids in the neighborhood, even the neighbors uh, that that live. Uh, in the surrounding area, there's, you know, there's, even though this feels like small town America, there's something that doesn't feel right about it. There's a darkness there. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, uh, that, that aspect of it is in my mind, very similar to the vision. Yeah. I remember, uh, borrowing that based on your recommendation also. I might, I think I'm pretty sure I borrowed it f- from you. Yeah, the library copy. And yeah. although it, it's been so much time, I I don't remember the plot very well. I do remember the things that it made me feel, and I remember having just uh you know really a really high uh, opinion of the work. Like it, that was some good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. It's yep. So those are our recommendations. If you want to chase chase the vision down that rabbit hole. Yeah, chase that feeling, those ideas, those concepts. For sure, for sure. All right, so we talked about our book. Uh, let's take a little time before we head out to talk about the upcoming Disney Plus show, WandaVision. So we said that it's coming out uh, January 15th. 15th. Yep. There we are. I just saw a news report earlier that they are actually going to debut two episodes on the first day. And then uh, I guess from that point on, uh, it'll be one episode, one new episode per week. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the first Marvel production Streaming. that we're going to get in yeah. uh, in quite a while. Uh, you know, we were supposed to get Black Widow last year, but pandemic has thrown off the timing. So yeah, somehow uh, we're getting this TV series um, to kickstart phase four of the Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. So uh, just as a recap, what we remember uh, at the end of, at the end of infinity war, what we end up seeing is that Thanos was in the middle of getting all the infinity 
stones or gems and um the last gem was located in the vision's uh head basically mm-hmm. and uh okay so in an attempt to stop him from getting the stone the scarlet witch uses her powers to destroy his body uh along with the stone but thanos just reverses uses the time gem to reverse time a few minutes to where the vision was still alive and rips the stone from his head, uh, effectively killing him. And that's the last of the vision that we see. Uh, after that, he Thanos makes the snap and everyone disappears or uh, like half of everyone disappears. And it isn't until end game in the final scene in the final battle where everyone's, you know, thrown down with Thanos and his forces that we see that Scarlet Witch who uh, who disappeared along with a whole lot of other people when the snap happened. She's mm-hmm. back, and but she's... Uh, see, she's, she's pissed. She's, she's no- Royally pissed. <laughs> she's noticeably pissed. Royally pissed. <laughs> and, um, and the Vision, uh, you know, who is her, her love interest in... Uh, her romantic interest in the in the films he we do not see him again um so yeah she's she when we do see him with thanos she's mad at him and she's pissed at him and she's using her powers on him but uh vision is not alive so when these trailers came out um you know all we see is it feels like it's a vignette of uh a lot we we see that uh, the Scarlet Witch Wanda is alive and well, and we see that she's with the Vision. He's alive and well as well. Wow, I yeah, I used well twice that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but but they're living. So from what we've seen in the trailer, they're living in this weird world where a whole lot of it it, it mimics a lot of TV sitcoms. Uh, what we see is that kind of reminded me of uh, leave it to beaver or I love Lucy or something. Exactly. So the, the first scene is, or or the first scene in the trailer is in black and white. And it, 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 it's a throwback to uh, fifties sitcoms uh, like I love Lucy or leave it to beaver. But you know, what's weird. I, I would actually, I enjoy those sitcoms more than I enjoy modern sitcoms. Interesting. I would rather watch another episode of Leave It to Beaver than an episode of something like Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I mean, in that specific instance, I'd have to agree with you. But uh, I I think there are some sitcoms that I enjoy. Uh, I'd still watch The Office over any of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or Arrested Development or something. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the other sitcoms, man, I, I, I think I'd, I'd probably watch an episode of I Love Lucy than a random episode of uh... man I don't even know what, what shows are on now just anytime I see a commercial for a sitcom during a football game it just kind of goes out goes in you one just, ear and not the other man I don't remember any of them I just know that they still make them yeah but I have no interest in them yeah no I agree like I I don't know there's it they just feel contrived and uh, like I Maybe I'm just at that point in my life where they don't connect with me. <laughs> but could speaking be of sitcoms, the world's passing us by. Maybe that's, why, maybe that's why things that are 
done in an older style are more appealing to me. <laughs> They're wrong, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of sitcoms, uh, the trailer, from what we see in the trailer, uh, the first uh, the first scene in the trailer is in black and white, and it's a throwback to those 50s sitcoms. But as the trailer progresses, we see that it jumps through the ages. So you see like a seventies version of a, of, of a sitcom. And then uh, the, the setting changes to, to match the different various decades and time periods. There's even, there's a sense that there's an eighties version of, uh, of their world uh, and, you know, and onward. So mm-hmm. whatever is going on in their world, it, it feels like they're jumping through time and, um, that's all we really know, uh, but you know, me and Drew have discussed it a little bit, and we've been able to glean some information, and we feel like there are things that influenced uh, the show. So we're we're making predictions here uh, based on what we know of the comics, and uh, we're going to try to apply them to the show and see, you know, when once the show comes out, we'll we'll know whether we were truly right or not. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we saw a vision about WandaVision, so yeah, had to uh, put that out there. Yeah, like a, a, a lot of the well, yeah, exactly. So, we one of the largest influences on the trailer, uh, that we noticed was Tom King's vision, uh, uh his vision series. Uh, there were at least visually, a lot of things that we feel that they borrowed from from that story, from the Tom King vision. Yeah, I think the main thing is the fact that it's it looks like it takes place in some kind of suburban setting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, the setting does change, it, or it seems to change, but each time, wherever they are, it, it seems like they're in some kind of suburban setting. Yeah. Not, not a not a big city so it's got that kind of vibe to it yeah. the whole idea of uh settling down and and having a family yeah even though obviously in the vision he created his own family and the tv show it's it's more about wanda and the vision yeah. having family you know so so obviously that element's gonna play out differently um, well do you want to oh, oh go ahead go ahead I was going to say, did you want to give a little bit of a, the history of Scarlet Witch and the Vision before we, we, we give a deep dive? So, you mean uh, the comic book versions or? The, well, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. like what their backstory is. Yeah, so. in the, the movies. So, yeah. the interesting thing about Scarlet Witch is that she was originally associated with the X-Men, not with the Avengers. She started off as an X-Men villain yeah, he was. She and Quicksilver were both part of Magneto's original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah, and fought the X Men, got their butts kicked, and eventually, at some point, I guess she and her brother left Magneto and decided to reform, and they ended up joining the Avengers. That was Cap's kooky quartet that era, right? It was it was Cap, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. Yep, pretty pretty weird thing back in the early days of the Avengers to go from Iron Man, Thor, uh, Giant Man, and the Wasp t- to all of a sudden 
Captain America and three three people who used to be villains. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'll be honest, they they didn't really feel like they had a heavy hitter on the team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Scarlet Witch is pretty powerful, but I don't know if she was that powerful back in those days. Yeah. But over the years, they've definitely developed her her power set to the place where she's obviously one of the most powerful mutants uh, or superheroes in the Marvel universe right now. True, true. I don't know if she's still what she's what her status is right now, but you know, just in recent years, in the modern era, she's pretty powerful. So she and the Vision. We talked about the Vision's origin earlier, but. Somehow, the two of them ended up uh, falling in love and having a relationship to the point where they even had a, a wedding. They got married to yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, I think this was back in probably the seventies. I don't. I don't remember the issue numbers and stuff like that. Yeah. I think I. I might actually have a beat up copy of the annual or the issue where they get married, though. Um. Actually, I think I have. So I borrowed the this special collection from the library, mm. and I think the first story in it is actually that issue. So it's Giant Size Avengers nineteen seventy four number four. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah, I think I still have a copy of that. It's my copy's pretty beat up, so it's not not worth anything. But I think I still have a copy of that. I gotta look for it. Mm. So you can't get a CGC graded, is what you're telling me. Oh, I, I could, but it'd probably be like a 1.2 <laughs> or something. <laughs> how do you? How could you not take care of a key issue, Drew? <laughs> I read it. <laughs> I want to read it because key issues are for suckers. <laughs> they are, man. Key issues, man. We, don't even get me started on on that tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, any, anyway, they Scarlet Witch and Vision got married. And at one point, uh, or I think at two points in the 80s, they had their own miniseries, right? Yeah, so there was... Yeah, so there was... They were both times, I think they were called Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. And the first one was a four-issue series. And I want to say that the second one was a 12-issue uh, maxi-series. Yeah, so put all together, pretty substantial stuff. And they ended up uh, having kids. Actually, it was it was a weird, weird kind of story. But from what I saw in the Wandavision trailer, they have they have two babies in the in the trailer, right? Yeah. So they're gonna. Have, it looks like they're gonna play off that comic book uh, inspired storyline. So what happens in the comics is that they end up having these two kids, and the reason why they're able to do it is because. <laughs> 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 they made a deal with the devil. <laughs> Man, uh, why did they do that, Albert? Sometimes you just want kids that badly. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean it. It's weird how often this has come up in our recent episodes, but every time somebody makes a deal with the devil, it never turns out well. Just don't do it, guys. Just don't. Yeah, just don't do it. Hey, to all you gutter trash out there. <laughs> Don't make a deal with the devil. <laughs> All right, gutter trashers, gutter trashies, in betweeners, in betweeners. <laughs> so I, I, 
I just want to clarify at this point. So this um, history of the Vision and Scarlet Witch happened over a bunch of years, and it gets pretty convoluted over time. Um, so, like, what, what Drew's describing, like, he's doing the best job that anyone possibly can to explain it in the most, like, in the best way possible where it makes the most amount of sense without sounding too ridiculous <laughs> it's like we could just give you the i think it's easier to just take the bare bones description as opposed to going to the marvel wikipedia and trying to read all these paragraph summaries of yeah. old comics that you don't really that you probably wouldn't read otherwise right it, it's yeah. just well i mean to be honest i'd probably rather read the actual comics than read the Wikipedia entry. Yeah. Because those Wikipedia entries, man, sometimes when you get into really convoluted territory, there's yeah. almost no point. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say was I, the show is essentially going to do the same thing. It's going to take their existing history. I, and from what I've seen of the trailers, uh, there is stuff from the Vision and Scarlet Witch uh, miniseries that already <laughs> exist that they've that they're going to borrow elements from so it feels like what they're going to do is they're just going to pick the most interesting parts of their history polish it up uh, streamline it and try to make it a as comprehensive as, of a story as possible yeah so, and i'm sure they'll tell their own story too it'll be something exactly something that'll make sense in the context of the marvel cinematic yeah. universe in some ways it'll be better than all the continuity because it'll get they know what the silly stuff is. They know what the stuff that doesn't work is, and they'll be able to remove that stuff. Yeah, there, there's know? a good chance that they won't make a deal with the devil. Yeah, I, I, I get the sense that they probably the the birth of the Vision twins or the whatever the Vins or whatever. <laughs> the twins. I, the, yeah, I have a sense that they're probably not going to be a result of a misguided deal with the devil yeah and th there's also a good chance that master pandemonium won't show up yeah well i kind of hope he does because i want to see what that looks like <laughs> i was gonna say there's a chance that he might be in there as either a uh what, what are those called uh as an easter egg or as yeah. a joke <laughs> Or, or maybe they'll uh, reimagine Master Pandemonium. They won't call him that. They'll call him something else. Yeah. Um, maybe he won't have demons for hands. Yeah, yeah. But you if know. they do that, they would be cowards. Because if you're going to have Master Pandemonium, he has to have demons for hands. <laughs> Otherwise, you're a coward. You hear me, Disney? We're calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I heard recently that in the Shang-Chi movie, they're going to have a dude playing Razor Fist. Yeah. And if you have Razor Fist, well, he's a dude who, instead of having hands, he he has two swords attached to the stumps at the end of his arms. Yeah. He has no fingers. He has no palms. He has no hands. They are yeah. just blades. Yeah. So his, his name, Razor Fist, it, it's, it's pretty literal. literal. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if I'm thinking... If they have Razor Fist, they could have Master Pandemonium introduced, and he could have his demon hands. Yeah. Then you could bring in the Grim Reaper, because I think Wonder Man's going to be introduced in a Marvel movie soon. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, 
just bring back Claw, and you'll have a whole bunch of guys that don't have hands. Yeah, they could be the Limbless Legion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I would totally want to see a scene where where they cause some havoc, and they want to high-five each other, and then they're just like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that'd be funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, I was also going to ask you about the uh, the comics that you borrowed from the library, man, since you've been reading some of them. I think yeah. you pointed out that there was a, a specific scene uh, that reminded you of the show, uh, the Halloween scene. You want to speak anything about that? Yeah, so from the trailer, there's a scene where uh, Vision is out trick-or-treating with kids, and he's in a he's in a noticeably cheesier version of his costume uh of, of his look i mean because he he looks like he's in a costume it it's clearly uh it, made it out looks of like a guy uh cosplaying as the comic book version of the vision poorly cosplaying yeah right? yeah yeah because it looks like it could be felt or something essentially Mm-hmm. And uh, the scene is just them walking through a neighborhood on Halloween. And I was looking at that scene and issue one of the Scarlet Witch and Vision miniseries uh, that was done in uh, 1982. Yeah. Uh, this this series was four issues uh, by Steve Englehart, Bill Mangelo, and this particular issue was illustrated, illustrated by Rick Lenardi. Uh, they yeah they just they borrowed that entire first scene in the trailer, and it looks a lot like the one of the panels in in the first issue of that miniseries. So I was looked I, I read that series just because it felt like it was a direct uh, they were pulling a direct reference from it, and mm-hmm. it's uh, from the story that I read. It was about. It was about Wanda, uh, the Scarlet Witch, and Vision settling down and trying to have a life. They've just gotten married, and they're trying to... At this point, they're they're not with the Avengers, and they just want to have a life with each other. And mm-hmm. uh, what ends up happening is someone mails a, uh, a mysterious tome to their house. And on Halloween night... Uh, a, a spirit or a demon is released from the tome and you find out that the being that was released from the tome was going to, he wanted Scarlet Witch to use her powers to help free him from the tome. And uh, Halloween night was when his power was at its height at its peak so that he could manifest himself and affect the Scarlet Witch and you know it just ends with them you know beating this guy up and <laughs> him going away so I, I i'm pretty doubtful that they're going to use that story uh, if anything i think they're what they're going to do is they're gonna, one of the episodes is probably going to be something that takes place on halloween night and it's going to be about uh you know whatever weird going goings ons is occurring because of um scarlet witch's powers if, if i had to say yeah um, yeah i mean so, so watching the different trailers oh i don't mean to cut you off are you still about to no no something? no no. go please oh I'm yeah done. so watching the different trailers um it it does seem like the scarlet witch's powers are in some kind of flux yeah 
like she's the one who might be causing reality to shift. Yeah. So and that borrows from another comic. Yeah. There, part of me does wonder if the vision is actually alive again, yeah. or if he's just part of the reality that she's manipulating. Yeah. Like, is she just trying to? Is her? Is she so mad with grief that her powers are in flux because she, you know, she just can't accept uh, what happened, and maybe, yeah. Yeah. maybe that's why uh, reality is shifting into all yeah. these different sitcom eras. Yeah. So there's this scene in the trailer where um, I forget where exactly the scene was, but you you can tell that the neighborhood they're in it it feels like there's something like a dome around it because you can see the energy effect of it. So my interpretation of that was her powers might be manifesting in this bubble over this localized area. And later on in the trailer, you see that there are like military guys trying to run towards it or. Yeah. There's choppers that are observing it. Yeah. And then, and then you see a dude, agent Jimmy Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Randall Park, man, he's he's like charging across the field really briefly in the in the trailer. Yeah, so it's gonna, cool that uh, they're bringing Jimmy Woo back. Dude was funny. I liked him, man. Yeah, yeah. He 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 was the the parole officer. No, not parole. He wasn't the parole officer. He he was uh, an FBI agent. Well, I guess he no, was he the was parole officer. Agent. Right? I, I think he was like a shield handler for Scott Lang. Yeah, in Ant Man Two. Yeah, I'm. I'm I just looked sure. up uh, WandaVision on uh, Wikipedia, and it says that he's an FBI agent who oh, was the I guess... parole officer of Scott Lang. Yeah. Okay, my bad. Yeah. Well, but uh, dude, too bad, too bad, uh, too bad. This uh, Wikipedia entry is locked, man, because I, I need to edit that because not only was he an <laughs> FBI agent, that dude was also a youth pastor. So how are you going to disrespect Jimmy Woo and not mention that, man? That that should be in the Wikipedia entry, man. You that in the movie. Yeah, come you on. Be consistent. Come on. Whoever whoever contributed to this Wikipedia page was lazy and didn't get all their facts straight. We're calling you out. Yeah. Meet us meet us outside and we'll we'll sell this with trial by combat. <laughs> <laughs> the other uh cast members that I noticed on the Wikipedia page are kind of interesting too because Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis the yeah. character from the first two Thor movies. Yeah. She's going to be in, in this series. I don't remember if I saw her in the trailer. She probably was in there real briefly and I just didn't notice. I mean, I didn't notice her either to be to be perfectly honest. <laughs> okay. Like so I know just yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed Jimmy Woo even though he was in there for like one frame just because he's an Asian dude, man. So <laughs> you know, my uh, Asian our, our radar spider sense off. our yeah, spider, spider sense. sense <laughs> <laughs> like I don't I don't really remember what Kat Denning's character really did too much in the first she was two just Thor comedy movies. relief for yeah. Jane Austen uh, or not Jane Austen <laughs> Jane Foster Pride <laughs> 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 and Prejudice Pride and Prejudice and Scrolls and Thor it's like Pride and Prejudice meets Thor <laughs> 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 uh, the uh wikipedia entry says that her character 
was the polit- was a political science major who was an intern for Jane Foster. Yeah. So but, yeah, I don't I don't know what she's up to now since we haven't seen her in any of the movies. So I, I do I do I don't know if, I don't know what she's got to do with any of this. Well, I think if I had to say, I think they're trying to like plant the seeds for the next phase of the universe. So since mm-hmm. Jane Foster is, uh, I, I hope true. this doesn't spoil it for anyone, but. Since uh, Natalie Portman is going to be back in the next Thor movie as Jane Foster slash the next Thor, uh, and with Kat Dennings' character being her, like, you know, sidekick. Huh? Her best friend, yeah. Uh, That might be their way of threading uh, the, the new foundation for the next phase of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, that makes sense. If I had to guess. Because uh, you didn't finish the list, but there there's another character that they're going to introduce in this series, right, Drew? Yeah, there's Monica Rambeau. Yep. Uh, she was in the first Captain Marvel movie, but she was a little girl at that point. But remember, that movie took place in the... Was it 90s? Yeah, the 90s. Yeah, so... Back in the heyday of Blockbuster video, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, with all the years that have passed, uh, you know, now that we're currently in the present, uh, that little girl has grown up and she's an adult now and she's apparently going to be in WandaVision. Yeah. So in, in the in the comics, Monica Rambeau is a pretty powerful superhero character in her own right. And she she's gone by a variety of different superhero names. I think originally when she first came out, her name actually was Captain Marvel. And then for a long time in the 90s, she went by the name Photon. Uh, And then she was called Pulsar or Pulsar. And then uh, she was Spectrum. I I don't even remember what name she goes by now. I think she might still be Spectrum. But uh, yeah, I guess in my mind, it feels like She's always just going to be Photon because because of Next Wave. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. guess the main That's thing probably, is we just yeah. call her Monica Rambo. Yeah. I like that. I, if I had to be perfectly honest, I like that name better than any of the other names. That yeah, I mean, her, her name's Rambo, so. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really, it's hard to top a name like that, you know? Yeah. Like any, any kind of superhero code name is just going to pale in comparison to her actual yeah. name <laughs> yeah but yeah she's got in the comics she has energy based powers like she's she can uh transform herself into energy so any anything on the spectrum of light she can transform into that absorb that energy manipulate it uh generate it shoot it travel at the speed of light she can convert her body into into energy i was just reading a bunch of 80s avengers comics a couple months ago where she, it was the stories where she first joined the Avengers first as a, as like a trainee member and then a full-time member. And even then she was like immediately one of the team's heavy hitters, man, because, because she was able to transform into energy and just travel at the speed of light. She could do so much. Yeah. She's a, yeah, I like her character, man. And, and if you want to check out some good Monica Rambo stories, go to next wave by Warren Ellis and Stuart Eminem. Mm-hmm. But it'll yeah it'll be fun to see 
her role in in the show. I, I don't really know. Um, you know, I can only speculate what yeah. she's going to do in the show. I mean, yeah, the show's not out yet, and we're just kind of picking over the trailer. <laughs> yeah. I think in the trailer, it seemed like she was one of the neighbors or something. I think like, she, yeah, it feels like she might be trapped in there with, with them. Yeah, and, and it's it kind of seemed like maybe she had the inkling that something was wrong, yeah. that something was, was off, but, um, like, right when she was about to, like, try and figure it out or say something to Wanda, Wanda's powers went nuts. Yeah, and, and yeah. like, reality shifted again, and seems like that affects people's uh, minds also. Yeah, if I had to guess from the looks of it, there's a chance she might have been one of the one of the military or shield that are observing the the energy mm. bubble. That, yeah, that's and she might if, again, this is a guess, but she might have been one of the few people to get inside, but because of um, you know, Scarlet Witch's erratic powers, she just got caught up in in the miniature environment that she's built for herself. Yeah. 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 That's logical. Yeah. Uh, there's a character named Agnes on the show. And that the, yeah, the show doesn't really, I mean, the description uh, just says that she's like a nosy neighbor. I don't know if that's supposed to be a character that's based on or inspired by anything to be honest when, when i first saw her name the first thing i thought of was agatha harkness yeah that's kind of what i was thinking too so i was I wonder, gonna ask you <laughs> yeah i wonder i wonder if this character is gonna end up being agatha harkness it seems like the actress who plays her isn't a decrepit old crone yeah so maybe the mcu version of agatha harkness will be a, a younger woman yeah if it's the lady that I've been seeing in the commercials or in the trailers, uh, I mean, I've seen her in a bunch of other stuff. She's pretty, she's usually known for comedy. So uh, I, I like her. Uh, I Like, she's one of those people that I see around in a bunch of different movies, but I never, like, remember their name. <laughs> I see, I see. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that character ends up being Agatha Harkness. Because yeah. Agatha Harkness, uh, she was the one who uh, she's like helped. a mentor. Yeah, she was like their their mentor, uh, Scarlet Witch's mentor. Yeah. The other funny oh. thing is that she was also uh, Franklin Richards' nanny. Remember that? I do vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was busy. She was all over the Marvel universe. Yeah, for an old lady, she sure gets around. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the they're going to have twins in the show and mm -hmm. that's something that's referenced in comics quite a bit. Uh, we, we talked about how, um, you know, Scarlet Witch and the vision originally were supposed to have twins in the, in the, the comic book universe. But, you know, as with all deals with the devil, <laughs> they, they come to an end tragically and the two twins were, I don't know what the term is, nullified, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's convoluted. <laughs> convoluted. I the think... deal with the devil didn't work out, so they could not exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, until they did exist again. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, 
their consciousnesses were moved to other... So there was a comic called The Young Avengers in which two characters uh, that... Uh, there are two characters, uh, Wiccan and Speed, and when it, when they first meet each other, they're shocked to see that they're identical looking to one another. And mm-hmm. as the series progresses, it turns out that they were they were actually the twins that belonged to Vision and the Scarlet Witch, except when the deal with the devil was dissolved, their consciousnesses and forms were moved to two separate families that birthed two separate children that were identical to one another. That's <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. Seriously. Comics, everybody. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, man. Comics. Hopefully, that that's one element of this where, um, you know, now that they're making WandaVision the show, like, I, I hope they're able to clean that up and do a version of those characters that isn't so silly yeah <laughs> you know yeah the, the the backstory is just way too convoluted yeah the, have- the last element that uh, i was gonna point out was the the thing about how reality constantly keeps on shifting because there is a comic book precedent for scarlet witch's powers going haywire yeah. The the big thing was uh, Avengers Disassembled. Yeah. So Avengers Disassembled was when uh Brian Michael Bendis took over the book and you know gave it a fresh start by <laughs> completely dismantling the team. And the reason why the team was disassembled was because Scarlet Witch basically had a mental breakdown because she lost her twins and she thought she had twins, but because of all this, all the, you know, weird reality warping or, or the retconning, it, it just affected her mind and, and gave her a breakdown to the point where she lost uh, full control of her powers. And it ended up giving the Avengers their worst day in history. She ended up uh, destroying the, the team, like destroyed their headquarters, killed a couple of their members uh, and just like caused all sorts of havoc and destruction. Yeah, um, she drove She Hulk crazy. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, is that the the characters didn't even know that she was doing it. So it wasn't like she was like laughing maniacally doing all this, but it was just she it was, was subconscious on her part. Yeah, it was totally subconscious on her part. She was she so her mentally powers not with it. Yeah, uh, like her powers are to warp reality and. When someone who has the ability to alter reality loses their sense of reality, yeah. like it does not bode well for anyone. And yeah. that's essentially what happened was because she lost her mental faculties, uh, her powers manifested in a way that was just disastrous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing about the movies is that Scarlet Witch never... I don't think she's demonstrated reality warping stuff, powers in the MCU. It feels like most of the time when they show off her powers, it's more along the lines of telekinesis. Yeah, some some sort of energy projection. Yeah, some kind of energy discharge. Yeah. So I do think it's fascinating that the show is moving towards the direction of uh, maybe using her 
untapped abilities that they haven't depicted yet, but yeah. you know have precedence in the comics. Well, the thing is about her is I have never been able to fully explain or wrap my head around what her powers are. Like, it's just such a vague concept to me that, like, I, I have, like, some idea, but it it encompasses a lot of different things, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah I, like, I think reality altering is probably the easiest way for me to define it but for the longest time like my understanding of her powers was she has the power to alter probability yeah hex-based powers or something hex-based yeah she's also a trained uh sorceress yeah comics yeah yeah the uh yeah the other big thing that happened with uh scarlet witch so after after avengers disassembled what happens is they find they figure out that it's her. Uh, she gets incapacitated, but before they can really do anything about it, Magneto, her father, uh, comes into the picture and takes her body away. So I guess that's another element of the backstory that is pretty different from the MCU because yeah. in the comics, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were revealed to be not only just Magneto's henchmen and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but they were also revealed to be his children. Yeah. Although I think in a storyline, a different storyline a few years ago, that was revealed to be false. Yeah, so, they read that out. Also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just a little backstory. So for the longest time since the X-Universe belonged to uh, Fox and the other Marvel properties by and large belonged to Disney. Um yeah, what ended up happening was, as a well, this is a presumption on my part, but as a means of uh, using the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver character, Disney had to find a way to use those characters, but to separate them from Magneto because they didn't want to... They, well, I don't know if they wanted to or not, but they weren't able to use Magneto anyways. So hmm. the comics had to find a way to... <laughs> reconcile that by having a big dramatic reveal that Magdino was never their parent to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always pretty painful to me whenever I see that the comics try to bend over backwards to, to match what's popular de- popularly depicted in the movies. Yeah. 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 There's something about that, that it doesn't sit well with me. Like I, I'll still call the Infinity Gems the Infinity Gems, you know? Yeah. That's what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So you were saying that so you were saying that Magneto took her off before all the other heroes could uh mm-hmm. contain her and help her, you know, restore her sanity or whatever. Yeah. So or even just hold her accountable for what she did. Um yeah. we weren't able to do any of that because Magneto took her and then they I th- they couldn't find Magneto for quite a while. And then the next thing, the next big storyline that happens, um, the new Avengers end up forming a new team called the new Avengers. Uh, and then there's also, a, an event that happens, a, a big story event called house of M, which I think is the story that a lot of people uh, who saw the trailer are, uh, pointing out like 
I think there was even an Easter egg somewhere in, in like in one of the wine bottle labels in the trailer that made a reference to the house of M. Yeah. But what, what house of M was about what the comic was about. It was billed as a crossover between the new Avengers and the astonishing X-Men, which was the flagship X-Men title at the time. This was uh, like 2005 thereabouts. So the house of M was one day everybody woke up and reality was completely different. Well, I guess they didn't all just wake up, but they, they, they're searching for the Scarlet Witch and they find her on the island of Genosha, which at this point, it used to be a, a, an island nation for mutants, uh, but it ended up getting decimated in another storyline and it was just a bunch of ruins. But apparently Magneto took her to... Genosha, where she could recover with the help of, uh, I think, Professor X. I think he was there. But any, anyway, the the Avengers, the new Avengers and Astonishing X-Men find her, but uh, she's still got a fragile mind. And when they, uh, I guess when they find her, she stresses out or something, and then her powers just go in flux. And then you see a big white flash of light and then everybody wakes up and the whole world is different. Like everybody's living in this reality that she created. And yeah. it's called House of M because in this new reality, mutants, not basic homo sapiens, mutants are the ones who are the people in charge of society. Yeah. It's basically a driven society and, and yeah. normal people are the, are the outcasts and freaks. Well, so, it's not just that from what I remember, the population numbers are like drastically changed as well. So like mutants are the majority of the population, yeah. whereas normal pe powerless people are declining in terms of their numbers. Yeah. 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 So everybody is uh, living in this new world. And, and for a lot of the superheroes, they end up basically getting their dream life handed to them. Like, for example, uh, Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers, she ends up becoming the most popular superhero on the on the planet. Yeah. And then you have uh, Spider-Man. Uh, he's he's married to uh, Gwen Stacy and they have a kid, you know, but he still yeah. gets to be Spider-Man and he's like a performer or something. Uncle Ben's still alive. So everything in, in the world that they're living yeah. in, in the house of them is... It's like basically giving them their dream lives. Yeah. Um, no and some of them go back. don't have a dream life, but a lot of them do. So, sorry, what did you say? Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it gives them. I was just agreeing with you that it gives them their perfect dream life and no reason to go back. Yeah. 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 And the mutants are all in power, so um, you know people are generally feeling pretty good until. Wolverine uh, realizes that this isn't his world. This isn't my world. Disappointed! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so at that point, he figures it out. Um, and he goes on a mission to try to restore it. Yeah, he... 
there's there's a girl in the world who who's a mutant who has the power to uh I forget what her actual power is defined as, but her name is Layla Miller and she has this ability to make everybody remember the world the way it was supposed to be. So they end up waking up most of the heroes and they got to put a stop to it. So they go after uh, the Scarlet Witch. She's, I guess she's like a princess or something, you know, like Magneto's ruling the world and, uh, you know, all of his children are his lieutenant or something. So yeah. they, there's, a big, there's a big fight. And at the end of it, Scarlet Witch ends everything by saying no more mutants and the world reverts to the way it was before with the caveat that all of the mutant population has been decimated to the point where there are literally only 198 mutants left on earth when prior to that there had been millions yeah fortunately most of the 198 are the x-men yeah <laughs> what a coincidence yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so there's a likelihood that a lot of those elements are going to be well at least based on observation of the trailers we feel like elements of those specific stories are going to be lifted to make whatever their show yeah. is going to be yeah if i had to guess it, it sounds like the reality shifting part is going to be the big element at play here. Yeah. I, I, I kind of doubt that they would use this show to introduce mutants to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It'd but if they did, big news. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think the thing is, ever since um, Disney got uh, the X properties back into the uh, Marvel fold, Everybody's been sort of. Everybody's been looking for clues as to how and when mutants will show up in the Marvel universe. So it just feels like every little bit of news is the thing that is going to be the thing that, yeah, proves that this is this is what this is where mutants are going to start showing up in the Marvel universe. Yeah. So I I don't know. Um Yeah, I, I'm, pretty... I'm a little bit skeptical just because I I don't know if that's how they would cuz it it feels kind of like I don't know, maybe because it's a TV show, I would expect them to do it in a higher profile way. Yeah. You know, not everybody has Disney Plus. Yeah. But you know, on the other hand, I did hear that this show is going to somehow tie in to the next Doctor Strange movie. You know, it's going to, it's supposed to tie into uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness or whatever the proper title is. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess maybe you could say because of the Doctor Strange connection, it is going to have some kind of multiverse theme to it. Yeah. Like the, the thing that kind of confuses me as a, uh, as a comic book reader, though, is, is that why is it a multiverse concept when her power is not to, to traverse the multiverse, but to reshape reality? 
Because when you think about the House of M, at least in the comics, again, I don't know how they're going to depict her powers in the movie, but in the comics, when she created the House of M, it wasn't like she transplanted everybody into Earth 17, 8147, yeah. right? She literally she turned into a new reality. Like she yeah. changed everything, the fundamental properties but of, of reality, but they were still in the 616. Huh. That's, right? That's or am I point. wrong? No, you're right. You're right. And um, that's a good question. I Unfortunately, I, I'd have to see what they do. I, I don't know how much they're going to tie uh, Scarlet Witch into, like, okay. I don't know what her role exactly is going to be in Doctor Strange. So mm-hmm. there's a chance that whatever multiverse shenanigans he's dealing with does not have anything to do with um, her. Like, for all we know, she could just be there to, like, train and uh, harness or refine the powers that she has, right? She could be in a coma. Did you say she could be in a coma? Yeah, she could be in a coma. Yeah. Maybe at the end of the show, she uh, exhausts herself and she just gets knocked out. And uh, Doctor Strange checks in on her while she's uh, unconscious and you know can't do anything to help her. So he goes off into the multiverse to do his own adventures. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't... Look, we've seen all sorts of things uh, being done, so I, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's not something that could happen. I, I, I do think that would probably piss off a lot of people, or I don't even know They'll if there are any... Pissed. Huh? Royally pissed. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I don't know if there are, like, there are any... I, I don't know how popular Scarlet Witch is uh, in, the, in that, that fandom, so... I don't know who would really be mad about that, you know, if she was just in a coma. But yeah, well, I guess I realist, practically speaking, I imagine the actress uh, gets paid so much money that it wouldn't make it, sense for them to just not have, have her to get act. Her lines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good point. Good point. That's probably the more uh, the more accurate route or yeah. thought process uh, to take. Dude, what, what's her name again? She's an Olsen sister. I can't. What was her Elizabeth name? Olsen. Elizabeth, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm sure she's, she's getting paid so much money that she, they're gonna give her a, a, a substantial role. She'll they're, probably, they'll probably have a team up or something when, when they go to the multiverse. Yeah, they're, they're gonna try to get as much out of her as they can. Like when she's not like delivering the lines, they're gonna be like, "Can you get coffee for us?" <laughs> <laughs> if I was paying a movie star that much, I'd do that. <laughs> Look, I want you to act, but I also want you to order pizzas for us. <laughs> You're on the clock. You're on the clock. <laughs> That's so good. Um, yeah. Like, don't you think there's a chance that by the end of uh, WandaVision, she could be so messed up and her powers might be so out of control that she might ha- Like you mentioned, uh that Agatha Harkness was her mentor in the in the comics, right? So is there a chance that she might go and mentor under Doctor Strange? Yeah, I think that was uh that's probably the most uh logical Reasonable. guess yeah. 
Yeah. Especially uh, when the news came out that she was going to be in that Doctor Strange sequel. It seems like it makes sense for them to team up. And if they team up, then because he's the Sorcerer Supreme, I imagine he would be uh, kind of a a tutor or mentor for her. But wouldn't it be fascinating if they switched it up and she was teaching Doctor Strange? (laughs) That'd be interesting. Uh, I I would like to see how they uh, how they make that happen. So, uh, what if it's for, for my it's own one of the reverse pleasure? I would want to see that. <laughs> yeah. What, what if? What if, dude? What if the fact that she's able to warp reality to that degree in the show is so high that Doctor Strange basically realizes that he's failed to protect Earth, and he is therefore no longer worthy of being earth's sorcerer supreme he has to concede the title to someone else okay okay all right i'm on board and that's someone <laughs> it's wanda and then you got uh baron mordo from the first doctor strange film he's still out for revenge and doctor strange man he's lost his confidence so he has to go to wanda to help him beat up this bully <laughs> 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 Oh, man. <laughs> I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I'll, reality warping. I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> Get me a ticket. I'm in. I'm in, dude. I'm in. It, uh, it really does feel like Marvel's diving into the multiverse stuff, though. Yeah. Well, you know, after after infinity war and Endgame, and after such a you know epic conclusion where what other direction can you go be that's a step beyond space right at this point yeah i guess i guess you're right yeah it, yeah so if, i mean it feels like uh they're rolling out a bunch of smaller like closer to earth uh, adventures as well because you'll have things like shang chi and you'll have uh moon Knight, razor fist razor fist but um you know for a while for a while there the next rollout of marvel films felt like it was smaller in scale by a lot right and don't forget the eternals is coming out oh that's true the eternals is coming out that's that's kind of in the same wheelhouse as the cosmic stuff yeah that's but gonna be cosmic kind of- definitely in the same wheelhouse as the, as the cosmic stuff yeah so, uh, yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in um you know with all these new elements that they're introducing into the marvel universe yeah yeah i'm, I'm definitely intrigued man i'm definitely yeah. looking forward to to what we get yeah only a couple more days and uh Scarlet uh, WandaVision will be out, so we'll we'll be able to put that to rest, uh, you know, at least a little bit once we check out the first couple of episodes. Yeah, totally. We'll see how wrong we we were on our speculation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I uh, guess that wraps it up. Unless you have anything else you want to say. Oh man, that was. That was a fun convo. I'm in a good place, and I, I got my WandaVision Joneses out of the way. 
Yep. So next week, if uh, things go according to plan, we'll probably do a follow-up to our Marvel Top 25 list. We'll talk about some of the things that didn't make the final list and and why not. So, uh, yeah, that'll be something to look forward to. Totally. Until then, uh, take care of yourselves, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is Between the Gutters signing off. Goodbye, in-betweeners. <laughs> Bye, guys.